0: Jack. Levi. The Book Club from Hell. Hello everyone, this is Jack with The Book Club from Hell, a crack team of elite cleaners guaranteed to appear anywhere in the world within 30 minutes to clean even the most stubborn stains from your beloved fursuit. This week's episode is not on a single book, but is rather on our impressions of the furry community as gleaned from our explorations of various online resources, such as Wikifur and the International Anthropomorphic Research Project. We've enjoyed some of the output of the furry community previously on this podcast, with our episode on Jack by David Hopkins, but wanted to learn more about the world of furdom. Alright, I don't change the following section of shilling much between episodes, so if you're a regular listener, feel free to recite along with me, preferably out loud. If you like what we're doing with this podcast and want to support us, we have a Patreon account, the link to which is in the show notes. People on Patreon can access the notes I make for episodes, so if you want more information on the books or manifestos we've covered, you can find more there. Additionally, I've published a novel called Tower, which you can find on Amazon or on Apple Books. Link's also in the show notes. One final thing. Levi and I are taking a break next week. As such, there won't be an episode next week. Normal, weekly episodes will resume after that. So, if you want to be able to pick your fursuits from your suits, your funny animals from your furry comics, and your con crud from your con funk, then listen on. Enjoy. It's big in Russia, is it? Because I guess, well, there, there are a lot of Russian speakers, so that'll be part of it. So on Wikifur, the, the most by far articles are in English, then Russian, let's have a look at... The various languages on Wikifur, but yeah, there there are a bunch of Russians. So seven hundred, yeah, okay. So twenty-two thousand six hundred plus articles in English, six thousand one hundred in Russian, then seventeen hundred in Italian, only seven hundred and fifty in Spanish, only four hundred and seventy in Mandarin Chinese, hundred and fifty in Czech. <laughs> The <laughs> they were punching way what above the their fu- weight. What the fuck? <laughs> Considering that there are, there are like, I don't know, probably 11 million Czech speakers. And actually half of those articles are written by Jack. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're actually all by me. Oh, good. So 170 in Polish. So the Polish are more degenerate than the Czechs. There are many more Polish speakers than Czech speakers. so Proportionally <laughs> less degenerate, but in absolute yeah, terms, yeah. more degenerate. 30 in Danish. 230 in Swedish. So the Swedish are much more furry than the Danes. 10 in Tagalog. <laughs> 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 yeah, it is. It is funny that. Yeah, it's OK. So it's, it's very English dominant, but there are a lot of Russian articles. Second second largest language on Wiki for Russians. So le- we got around to talking about this because Levi said that the Russians and the Chinese will will point to furdom as evidence of the West's decline, but actually, <laughs> the, the, Russians the Russians are, are, are going down as well. <laughs> <laughs> so, in terms of structuring this episode, this is mostly just going to be our impressions of what of what WikiFur and, and various furry resources on the internet are. So, neither of us are furries. Neither of us have had much contact with the furry community beyond reading Jack, which is a furry webcomic. I have one friend who used on. to be a furry. Might might oh, really? still be a furry. I'm yeah, I'm not sure. Say their say their whole name. <laughs> 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 this is this is not an exhaustive, definitive guide to what furdom is. This is the impression of it from two outsiders. Yeah, outsiders trying to get. Uh, a little bit more understanding than just what we came across in Jack, <laughs> which yeah. I think maybe a lot of furries would not consider Jack the best first impression that one could have of their community. <laughs> yes and no. So I'm I'm more sympathetic to furries having read Jack or at least a large portion of Jack and then looked around WikiFur and, and the various uh, repositories of furry knowledge on the internet. So. I I will acknowledge my my ignorant impressions of what furries were before our extensive research on them was basically fur suitors, sex maniacs, pornographers, which granted there is there is a strong element of porn in, in the furry community. It's a very sexual community. It's it's a highly sexual community. But there is there is more to it than that. And I'm also just sympathetic, really, to any group of probably quite strange people finding common interests and finding some sense of community in that, particularly the conventions. So some of the conventions do sound kind of fucked. Like, I think it was Rain... No, um... No, Rainforest. I think it was Rainforest 2015 (laughs) Is the notorious one. (laughs) Completely degenerate. (laughs) We're just turned into Heart of Darkness. (laughs) On the whole, the conventions actually sound like something that I probably wouldn't get much out of, but a place where people with niche interests can get together and engage in those interests in a place where they won't feel like they're going to be judged, they don't have to be defensive. They can engage with something that they find meaningful with other people. And that sounds really, really nice. That sounds very positive. One thing that I still haven't been able to get over though is the particularly when I see Furry porn and just doing any sort of research for this episode you, you just you just run into porn so easily <laughs> i feel i just I feel this visceral disgust when I see like. Big, meaty, furry dicks. (laughs) So (laughs) weird. They put fur all the way up the dick. (laughs) (laughs) When I see, like, detailed humanoid vaginas (laughs) in, like, a a rabbit person, I just find... It's really off-putting, isn't it? (laughs) It's really really (laughs) disgusting. So, I'm sure many people listening have some idea of what, what furries are, but maybe we can talk a bit about about what they are from the perspective of the furry community because f- at least from the outside the the most visible things of furdom are are really the most visible and those those people tend to be the fursuiters that those are the people that i initially equated with all furries fursuiters are people who dress up in these anthropomorphic animal costumes. They're uh, the most visible subset of furries. Yeah, yeah. And, they're, and they're very visible. So in a park near which I used to live, there were, <laughs> there were regular fur mates. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yiffing. <laughs> no, they, they weren't yiffing, fortunately. <laughs> Man, some, some of the terminology, too. They've got their own lexicon. <laughs> some, some of which is used to describe quite benign things some of which, much of which is used to describe sex acts. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about sex within the furry community later, but it's, it is a really prominent part of it. There is, there is so much porn. <laughs> There's so much mind-bending porn. So furries are basically, they're people, it's a community of people who who like anthropomorphic animals or like animals portrayed in media that have some sort of human characteristics. And these grew out of, I think, people appreciating funny animals, which were animals with some sort of some sort of human characteristics like intelligence or the ability to speak. For example, Disney cartoons like Mickey Mouse or Looney Tunes with Bugs Bunny or uh, The Lion King is also Disney, but The Lion King. People who appreciated... Animals depicted in media, particularly in in drawn media, this started becoming more identifiably what we would call furry now, as sort of sort of I think in the late 80s or in the 80s and 90s, when instead of just having character or funny animal characters that were animals, but could speak, or something like that, these animals became more anthropomorphic. And the furry community is. There are many different definitions of it. And it's quite a fractious community. And we can go into that, but broadly speaking, at least to my mind, the defining characteristic seems to be that they like artistic depictions of anthropomorphic animals, and that's 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 the core. From that, you can get people who are who are much more into it, who take it more as a lifestyle, a lifestyle. Who are the the extreme, the people who mm. will fursuit or the people who. In everyday conversation, apparently, there there were some people um, on—not WikiFur, I think—but on other furry sites complaining that some people give the fandom a bad name by, like, barking at the supermarket. There were also a lot of accusations that that some of the some people cross over into being other kin, and that also gives the furry community a bad name. Yeah, there's definitely some tension between those two. Yeah, and as we as we noted in the other kin episode. Many Otherkin sources we read really, really wanted to make sure that the reader knew that they weren't furries. (laughs) And many furries (laughs) really want you to know that they're not Otherkin. The Otherkin are weird, but, you know, we're not them. (laughs) We're furries, not Otherkin, not Theorians. It's It's an interesting experience looking through these subcultures where there are real intersections or real areas of overlap. And it seems that It's particularly where there are those small areas of overlap. The two communities make a really concerted effort to distinguish themselves from each other and we'll have many Mm. members Mm. who really want you to know that they are not of that other community. Mm. What were your impressions of the the central tenets of being furry? Yeah, I think you pretty much summarised it uh, in terms of the artistic, cultural um, and cultural production of anthropomorphic <laughs> animal animal animals. sort of. Um, yeah, and like you, I thought that it was that the uh the fursuit or was like yeah. a really big part of it. And I guess to some degree it is, but it's not it's not the only way of engaging in the community. Um but I, I think it is yeah. important to uh, maybe not all furries have a fursona um, because the, the, I guess mm. there's a distinction oh, between yeah, like yeah. having a first owner and having a fursuit. suit. I suppose in principle you could have a first owner, but never have a fursuit suit for it. Mm. Actually, yeah, yeah. Say what a fu- a first owner is, because that's really important. Yeah. So I guess it's if you think about concentric circles of of being a furry, probably the biggest is the appreciation of artistic depictions of anthropomorphic animals. Yeah. So I'll just read I'll and, just read the And then it's like and then maybe the next like the next circle within that might be having a first sona because that's really common. I don't think it's universal, but it's it's common. I'll read the um the wiki intro to it. A first sona is a first speech portmanteau derived from the terms furry and persona that refers to a Character, persona, alter ego, avatar, or identity assumed by a person or player normally associated with the furry fandom. The fursona itself consists of a name, usually fictitious, and a species as well as any distinctive colours, markings, body and body features. Um, the person might actually commission an artist. So there's people who specialise in essentially depicting furries. And so mm-hmm. if I wanted to create... I don't know, like uh, Levi the Catboy. Although I suppose Catboy Levi would need a different- Shout out to Count (laughs) Flop. Already supplied the art for that. Would need a slightly different name rather than using my um, human name. But the Catboy fursona version of Levi, (laughs) I could get commissioned um, to be like sexy and buff Mm. and have big, big uh, cartoonish uh, eyes and all that sort of stuff. But I think one important part of it is that um, they actually develop a personality for this yeah, yeah, persona. Yeah. So if you watch some of the furries on YouTube, such as Majira Strawberry, uh, who is a, a, a YouTuber, mm. um they they have their fursuit suit and they have their first owner. Um, and when they're in their first fursuit, suit, they are, I suppose, embodying or enacting, uh, their first owner. Yeah, yeah. So there's a big element of role play as well. Yeah, and that extends to to other areas like mucks, where <laughs> so a muck it's it's basically like a a text based text based role-playing game Um, and various mucks have different rules the extent to which someone needs to be in character all the time the extent to which people can break character there are a lot of different um, suggestions as to what muck stands for like multi-user created kingdom multi-user chat kingdom multi-user construction kit but basically this is another avenue within which people role play Within the context of being a furry, they roleplay as their first owner. I think people can also have multiple first too. I, I'm pretty sure I've seen a few cases in which people had several. Oh yeah, yeah, you can definitely have multiple first owners. So I guess yeah. um, a and this mark. first owner, so it's like at its at its core, it's you know this idea of a furry character, including its mm. appearance, its its species its personality that exists in your head that you can role play as and then you can have art commissioned of it and again this speaks to the centrality of particularly visual art to the furry community so there are there are a lot of artists furry artists who'll do commissions and and then i guess a further level of of instantiating this first owner is the fursuit yes. so you can have you can have your drawings of your first owner, and then you can actually get get a fursuit suit made or make a fursuit suit yourself, which which represents this first owner. So people can go really deep on on instantiating this first owner in, in different media. And an important point is that at at any or distinction between what they're doing with first owners and fursuits suits and other kin is that one these are anthropologists centric or anthropomorphized animals yeah yeah and whereas other kin are literally saying no like i am a dog like yeah. in my identity my species identity is that of a dog uh and they're not trying to anthropomorphize it <laughs> and whereas yeah the 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 furries are a lot more interested in this artistic form of fusing together animal features with human features to create like their their universe of of different characters and, and whatnot, yeah, definitely in the main, or at least most most furries don't seem to identify as yeah. the animal that that their first owner is, and I'm sure there is a small subset that has an overlap. Yeah, you do you do get overlap. So I've definitely seen some people who are furries and other kin. But for the most part, there. But for the for the most part, the two are, are distinct. Yeah. yeah. But one really interesting point that Jack made, I think, on the um, on the Jack episode was how impressive the cultural, artistic, uh, lit- and literary output of the furry community is. It's just prolific. There's So <laughs> so much. Again, really I deeply just, inspired people. I find the the art style. How it's, it's often it's the combination of oftentimes has a naive childishness to it and is oftentimes very mm. sexual, sexually suggestive. I, d- I find it so unsettling. I yeah. do not enjoy the vast majority of furry artistic output. But despite that, I can acknowledge that it is an impressively generative community. It's just not one that I can, I can instinctually enjoy. I wonder why they why they've um what would you say infantilized that it does there is a so lot much. of childishness to it and quite uh, so it's hard to say this without sa- it sounding pejorative. I really don't mean this pejoratively, but there does seem to be a very fundamental childishness to a lot of facets of furry expression. So in the in the drawings themselves, so the these. Anthropomorphic creatures will oftentimes have really big googly eyes. They'll be quite cute looking. They seem very much modelled on sort of children's cartoons or have quite childish features. Additionally, dialogue within furry comics is oftentimes quite childish. It feels like It feels like eight-year-olds interacting. Including Mm. sort of an eight, well, maybe not an eight-year-old, like, I don't know, a 12-year-old's concept of what sex is. It's like, oh, when two people love each other very much, they lie down in bed and do something. (laughs) It's this combination of that combined with, like, graphic depictions of the sex act. Yeah. (laughs) And at times, extremely... Strange sex as well. <laughs> well, yeah, you get stuff like vor. <laughs> on Wikifur, there's a uh, there's a, a page on vor, which for for the uninitiated, uh, <laughs> prepare to be initiated. Vor is hmm. it's porn based on being sexually excited by being eaten by <laughs> another creature. But there are particular subcategories of it. So there's, for example, cock Vore, which is it's essentially being drawn up through the urethra of a large penis, and there are there are various things that that's can so happen. Weird. That's that so strange. So, <laughs> don't, don't, you can don't be know drawn into the that. testicles and turned into cum, and then like ejaculated back out. That's that's one way. I've apparently you can be drawn into the bladder and turned into piss, and then pissed out. Uh, any any. Opening can be a vessel for vor you can it can be anal vore, cock vor <laughs> it's the sky's the limit. Uh, <laughs> I'm not entirely sure my life is better for learning that, Jack, but thank you <laughs> for the, the information. <laughs> the varieties of human experience are broad, perplexing, and beautiful <laughs> yeah so we can we can talk more about the pornographic aspect of it later. Yeah,
1: don't because- worry. We've
0: got the Yiffy guide to stay for sex coming up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Stick I did, I unfortunately did have a look at that. It's <laughs> just, it's I keep saying it, it's just the furry porn I find so deeply repulsive. If someone's into it, fucking fine, go for it. I won't y- I was going to say I won't yuck your yum, but actually I will. <laughs> That's a complete lie. Like oh fucking yuck! So many yums, but I won't stop Yucking you yums from doing front, it. Left, right, and center. Like you, you can do it. I'm just, just gonna just laugh at you. Look down on you a bit for it. No, the just drop all pretenses of like being tolerant. And just say no. Nah, I'm just gonna bully you if you do this. I'm not, I'm not gonna bully someone over it. But at the same time, I'm not gonna pretend that I find it. Just not repulsive. <laughs> um, human sexuality is very odd, though. Like, it's just kind of this black box. You, it's just, yeah, everyone's got their thing, and some people's thing is cock for. Is, is furry cock I just don't <laughs> pretend to understand. Furry cock <laughs> How the fuck did... Could you imagine, like, the, the post-nut shame of somebody jacking off to furry cock Like surely, after you're done and you're cleaning yourself up, you just look at yourself and just go, "What? Like, I can't fucking believe I just did that!" (laughs) Oh no! You open you open up your history tab if you're not in in incognito mode and just (laughs) feel such a deep cavernous black sense of shame. You just burn your computer. (laughs) (laughs) You go full. Ted Kaczynski <laughs> and forceware technology. <laughs> no, nah, it was a mistake. I'm done because you know furry cockvore didn't didn't exist before the internet, right? <laughs> like that is definitely yeah, something. That, that is a new a new innovation because of the I'm going to go out on a limb and say furry cockvore is <laughs> a tr- It's the product of intense desensitization and of communal desensitization. <laughs> this is not the sort of thing that just appears. <laughs> Spontaneously <laughs> yeah. Spontaneously in an individual This is a sort of thing that is It's the result of watching a lot of porn From a young age and getting very desensitised Through that Then getting into furry Then getting into furry porn And then the process of desensitisation <laughs> Taking fall. place Along the axis of furry porn Where you're not physically limited By what two performers or more performers Can do you're you're limited only by your imagination and your desensitization to sexual imagery. I genuinely wonder what the journey of somebody, like if you if you took like an image like a, a snapshot along their life of the porn that they consumed up to the point that they started consuming furry cock for. <laughs> <what that laughs> the thing like. is, it's <laughs> like did they did they start off weird or did they start off like real vanilla with just you know run-of-the-mill I'm sure I'm, stuff. I'm <laughs> certain that they started off really vanilla because it's, it's like anyone who's, who's um, of an age where they've, they've been able to have their their idea of sex warped by early exposure to porn. It's like no one starts off, even if you're not talking about, like, furry stuff, no one starts off looking at, like, you know, anal gape turbo gangbangs. Double penetration, stuff like that. People start off by just looking at normal stuff. (laughs) Like people start off by like I don't know. let, Let me see some titties, and then and then when they're a little bit desensitized, they'll move on to like okay. Let me have two people just normally having sex. The the hedonic treadmill, the hedonic ratchet of porn is, it's fairly predictable. I would anticipate of of where people start where people go and i suppose furry cockvore is a branch of that so you mm. probably you need to have an a pre, like you pro, you need to be into furries this is a... Uh, initially and you need to have some sort of predilection for a drawn porn for like cartoon pornography but once you're there if you just keep following desensitization and artistic creation and artist and commissioning it, I guess. Yeah, I guess the ultimate stage is commissioning furry cock for. Well, like, now okay, that, that the stuff on can offer be... is not is not specifically tickling that itch. Well, that's why we've and got generative something... AI now. Now everybody can yeah, now have oh, access to this. Holy <laughs> shit! I hadn't even considered that. <laughs> It <laughs> <laughs> truly is the end of the world. Oh, <laughs> oh. Jack's just lost his mind. He's like, I can have so much furry cock for now. <laughs> oh, only, only getting hit by a comet can say that. <laughs> See, this is, I normally am a big fan of David Deutsch and the beginning of Infinity, and I've spoken a number of times, except this is also one of the consequences of infinite progress. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> we can have, and, like a, a everybody starts, starts out limitless just limitless variety of furry. <laughs> but actually, this is interesting because the dynamics of I, I knew that I said we'd be talking about porn after talking about some of the many of the more positive aspects of of furdom. But I guess we're talking about porn now. But so before the dynamics of porn were much more. Mm. Well, okay, it's always going to be according to supply and demand. It's just, I guess, when the cost of demand gets so incredibly low, there's not mm. going to be an appreciable correspondence between the number of people who want to see some sort of porn and the amount of that porn in existence. Mm. It's going to now much... There was, there was always the dynamic of, okay, the number of people who want to see some sort of porn, and that would affect how much of it there is. There would also be the intensity of desire. So. Mm. Someone might be into a less commonly appreciated form of porn, but because of their passion for it, or the passion of (laughs) a smaller group of people into it, they would (laughs) very yeah, (laughs) they'd be willing to pay more money for it, which is. You know, the the invisible hand will be grasping towards making more of that particular type Mm, of porn. Yes, the invisible hand at work. (laughs) The invisible hand. This is what Adam Smith wrote about. He was writing about the dynamics (laughs) of furry (laughs) cockvore versus technology and demand. (laughs) But with generative AI, the the cost of producing any form of furry porn or just porn in general goes through the floor. So long as you're willing to, particularly the... uh, the hands I find in generative AI, hands always look pretty funky. Yeah, or any faces. Over of arms. That itself, I imagine, will become its own sub fetish. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, AI. Hooked up in the 2043 goon cave looking at pictures of 2023 AI-generated <laughs> porn, just give you that really crispy 2023 fucked up face and hand stuff. <laughs> I really like That's my- the only thing that can get me off. My um, pornographic depictions of Donald J. Trump having being eaten by a giant furry cock to have, like, yeah. weird fingers. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I want everything to be strangely globular, like a lot of the the uh, the AI generated pictures in current era. It's very strange. It's very strange. Yeah, so that essentially drops the cost of generating weird new porn genres towards zero. As long as you can accept that for a little while, the quality is going to be a bit off. The number of weird niche porn depictions will they'll probably grow massively, also because you have an existing body of porn consumers who are catered to. Like, most porn consumers will be catered to by most porn because most porn is, like, for them. So you expect the rate of growth of niche stuff to, to far exceed that of more, more vanilla stuff. So we might, we might live through a period where, where there is parity between more vanilla stuff and furry cockvore. Yeah. Well, who would have thought that the Kali Yuga would be characterised by furry <laughs> cock <porn. laughs> Cock for Yeah, just washed away on the endless tides of Spooge. Furry Spooge. Just like dried up fursuits covered in a Spooge after they've been spat out by a giant cock. With fursuits, though, it one thing that was predictable, I just hadn't thought about it so much, is... That they are expensive, yeah, that really people expensive. feel a real sense of ownership over them because it's it's an external depiction of their first owner and as such, they're very protective of them. I, like, I imagine most fursuiters wouldn't want people coming all over their fursuit, that they want it kept safe. Mm-hmm. So when I was mm-hmm. looking at convention etiquette, for example, we, we can the talk about convention edit. etiquette is like, do not etiquette, come on yeah. one another without permission. <laughs> no, it's it's even things like you know, be really careful with food and drink around fursuiters. Yeah, because if you stain the fursuit, that's like, it's part of someone's identity. I think my friend who is into or is or was um, said that his fursuit cost like more than $2,000. Yeah. And I imagine that might be a cheap one. Okay. <laughs> We've we've gotten to talk about fucked up porn. <laughs> Let's talk about the aspects of the furry community that are They've probably that are healthier. Um, driven a lot of innovation in costume design and creation. Because they they also want to wear those things for like entire day like multi day stretches. So there's probably been a lot of innovation around um ventilation and that sort of stuff in those in those suits. Yeah. People really suffer for their art too at conventions mm. because mm. Again, this this should have been obvious or would have been if I'd thought about it more, but they're not comfortable to wear. So there are different types of fursuits you can wear. Like you can get partial suits where maybe you'll have you'll have the, the mask, like the headpiece, and you'll have gloves that are like paws and shoes that are like paws as well. And otherwise you're wearing normal clothes. Those can be quite hard to see in and your head is going to be pretty sweaty because you've got a big mm, furry mm. helmet on, basically. Mm. And oftentimes at a convention, for example, they'll they'll have a minder, particularly if they're less, I guess they have less practice navigating 3D space with, with that fursuit head on. But then you can get full suits. So you're just, you're totally costumed as your mm. fur signer. Mm. And those get hot, mm. apparently. Mm. So I was reading that. Some people have little electric fans within the fursuit mm. for airflow. Mm. That that's but crazy. even then it's like you get super sweaty, you get super hot, it is uncomfortable. They have lounges at many conventions where fursuiters can go. Oftentimes only fursuiters are allowed there. Mm. They can go in, sit down, take off their mask, and have a breather. People really do suffer for their art. Yeah. Yeah. And some of them, oh, and that's right. Some of them even have drying racks for the suits because you get so sweaty in them. That's crazy. And so things like that make me, like, I feel much more sympathetic because this obviously means so much to people that they're willing to go through what is probably a very uncomfortable experience to fursuit at a convention and to fursuit in a place where their fursuit will be appreciated by Mm. people. Mm. Because at a convention, you're around other people who are into the same niche stuff as you. Yeah. And people are going to be excited at seeing someone expressing their owner in, in this physical way. They're definitely committed. Yeah. Oh, they're very, very creative, very committed. Um, it's why, despite all my misgivings, particularly about the porn, and, so, and that confluence of being very sexualized and quite childish, despite those misgivings, I still feel... Fairly sympathetically towards the furry community because they're very committed, they're very creative, and work out all of these ways to express their their appreciation of anthropomorphic animals. Yeah, yeah. it's a very strange phenomenon, but very committed, very generative. Yeah, it's it's. Uh... It's an interesting community. I I I, uh, I I think that it's good that they exist because now we can make contents about them. <laughs> I don't I don't <laughs> I don't foresee myself ever attending a furry convention. Um, no, unless unless uh, I was paid to or something. But <laughs> I'd just sell out straight away. Yeah, give me the first suit, whatever. <laughs> Bring on the giant cock <laughs> Yeah, look, we would need to be. If ever a book club from hell YouTube special (laughs) need people to to buy us a a pass to a furry convention. Yeah. One thing which is, is sort of expected about a community like furries is that very, very quickly on reading, reading their descriptions of themselves, I detected there's a lot of defensiveness. In, in the furry community there's a yeah a great deal of defensiveness saying like okay we're not all about porn we're not all fur suitors mm. and particularly comparing themselves to other fandoms like to Star Trek fans or to Star Wars fans or to sci-fi fans mm. things like that comparing themselves to these people and saying look we're not qualitatively different from these people and yeah fair enough for example a Star Wars fan isn't going to attract nearly the same opprobrium as a furry. It's just more uh, mainstream, I suppose. Mainstream? I will say, though, so furries, at least the, the sources I read, mostly Wikifur, point out repeatedly that being a furry is not all about porn. It's not all about sex. And that is true. There is a lot that isn't porn and isn't sex. But unlike the Star Wars fandom, You're never far away from porn. Uh, What? No, there's heaps of Star Wars porn. (laughs) There's heaps of really weird Star Wars porn. I am certain that Star Wars (laughs) porn exists. I'm also certain that it's not perhaps the largest source of of financial gain in the Star Wars community. (laughs) There's so much furry porn. It seems that furry artists will often make mm-hmm. most of their money from porn. Mm-hmm. That's just where the money is. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so that's like that's what they make. I do I I agree. There's definitely there's a lot of the furry community that isn't pornographic, but there's so much porn. It is so a part of the furry community. It's a a fundamental mm-hmm. part, I'd mm-hmm. say it's so mm-hmm. present. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, I, I I think and that's, that's very that's, good. That's a major distinction between it and other fandoms. Yeah, but I understand where they're coming from. with if they'd be like, you know, why is why are we so much worse than, say, mm. Comic Con? Mm. You know, like all these people in Comic Con, yeah. um, are dressing up and spending thousands and thousands of dollars on their, um, pretending to be a fictional character. At least, yeah. uh, at least with um. With furries, like, they're creating their own characters rather than embodying other people's yeah, characters. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, and actually that was one of the interesting points that uh, I can't remember which article it was saying, but it was saying that unlike other communities, like, say, fan fiction or Comic-Con that have, say, a small number of large organisations pushing like essentially doing marketing and trying to grow the community, so to speak, uh, or the the fan base. Um, furries are essentially an entirely user, like ground-up grassroots um, movement, yeah. for lack of a better word, uh, where it's all, essentially all user-generated. And yeah, there might be anthropocentric animals in, say, Disney films, but Disney isn't catering to... The furry community, like that, is just a. Mm. They, I'm, I'm sure, they don't really give a shit about the furry community. <laughs> so I thought I thought that was really interesting that it's it's an entirely grassroots subculture. Yeah, yeah, and one that yeah, you're and right. So initially, it wasn't it wasn't catered to. It was sort of people who liked various depictions of animals in media. Gathering together, it seems a lot of the initial movement was taking place at science fiction conventions Mm in sort of the 70s and 80s. And people slowly began to... So people who were interested in funny animals or depictions of animals in media would gather together at those conventions and slowly they would would begin to have hotel room parties. (laughs) And eventually those those would be declared as being for people who liked anthropomorphic animals or furries so you you had that grassroots social aspect from very very early on and then the internet came along because it's it's one thing that you know it's it is it's a niche interest and so getting together at a hotel room at a science fiction conference isn't all that scalable mm but it's still going to be fairly small. But when you get the internet where you can have a lot of people gathering together on, on various, I think it was in, like Usenet, it was really, really big there before the World Wide Web. Mm. You can get people gathering together there, and that really, really threw rocket fuel onto the, the furry fire. <laughs> really, really got it going. And like, like we said earlier, you, know, you, have the, you have role-playing spaces like Mux. They use Second Life quite a lot, which makes sense. So there, there are virtual spaces too where people can express their first owners. Mm-hmm. And you also got, got furry conventions. Furry conventions are one of the most interesting aspects of, of the furry fandom, I think, because I, I haven't been to a comic con. I haven't been to a science fiction convention. I haven't been to any conventions, but the furry ones do sound particularly Intense in their their expression of their love for the community or their dedication to the community. You particularly have, enthusiastic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, very enthusiastic. So yeah, at Comic-Con, like you'll get cosplayers and things, which which I guess are analogous to fursuiters. One thing that is impressive about the furry conventions is the I think it's called the um the dealer's den and the artist's alley. Oh, what's, what's that? Place? I didn't that? So they're these places where mostly i think artists will get will um will congregate and sell things that they've already drawn or take commissions i think you have people there who also sell fursuits mm, or fursuit mm, components mm. it's this this it's like this small economy dedicated to stuff that furries like <laughs> and i thought like uh, that that's cool it's you go somewhere you can get artwork commissioned like it <laughs> We were talking about furry cockvore before. <laughs> it could be that, or it could, it could just could, be a rendering. You could of look. Your you could look owner. at a human. You could look at a person in the face and describe to them the like anal vor that <laughs> you really, you really want them to draw. No, it's, I think mostly they'll they will draw your first owner. Yeah, I think the the passes for for conventions sometimes they will people will have. Custom versions of those commissioned mm. with their first owner mm. on them, things like that. Mm. That's cool. With the with the conventions too, I feel like the conventions are part of what give furries a bad name relative to other fandoms, yep. and also unfairly because there have been conventions where it's just been a complete disaster. So people behaving appallingly, first. Twenty seventeen. Yeah, whatever. Rainforest was the one I. That's the I most heard of, one. A fair bit about yeah. So people, I think that's been some going. Of the bad to, ones. I think it was to the to a Hilton hotel, and act, just like taking drugs, fucking each other, shitting in public places, smashing stuff, like doing doing shits in the, the hot tub, just behaving appallingly, and that sort of stuff, unfairly just gives the entire fandom a bad name. I wonder why they like what the hell got into their heads when they did that? <laughs> this is completely okay, messed So I'm guessing that the the act of fursuiting or the act of being anonymous or being able to take on a personality other than your own and not being as easily identifiable as the day-to-day you does contribute to those dynamics. I expect that, that has a large role to play in it. It's also, though, it's it's the license of being away from home, being in a hotel, being around people who are into the same sorts of things as you and you can be open about your interests around them. So there's that, that element mm, of disinhibition mm. plus the disinhibition of fursuiting for those people who are fursuiting. And also that some, at least some conventions have the there's the assumption that people are going to party there so this is not all conventions not even even with the conventions where there is partying it's not the entire convention but there's the expectation that at least at some Mm. conventions if you want to party there will be like hotel room parties or maybe something even more official or organized available so i think those things go some way to explaining why, why there have been certain conventions where people have behaved terribly. But I also want to say, like, these are aberrations. Mm. Most furry conventions are not full heart of darkness. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, <laughs> just breakdown of social order. Yeah, it's just the one or two that got a lot of coverage. On, got a lot of press. Yeah, especially on on social media. Which is a on shame. On social media. It's, it is one of those situations where a few people Bad apples spoiled the entire yeah. bunch. I think one of the one of the other things that that has given the furry community, at least publicly, a worse image was there was some CSI episode that just keeps getting referenced in various <laughs> things that I read. <laughs> um, where I, I didn't watch the CSI episode, but I'm assuming it depicts furries in a really bad light. So. For a large number it's of the people, called their entire Fur interaction loathing. with the furry community <laughs> will have been some CSI episode that I assume was like just depicting them as complete perverts, sex pests. It's called stuff it's like called, that. It's called "Fur and Loathing" on CSI Miami. <laughs> <laughs> Fur and loathing is the episode. <laughs> yeah, I bet so, you they hated that episode when it came out. I bet you the furry community freaked out about it. <laughs> I think they still they still do hate it, though, because I, when I was reading for this episode, multiple times I heard it brought up, this particular CSI episode. I think also, so cosplaying is one thing. With fursuits, I find them very unsettling. <laughs> yeah. And I don't think I'm alone in finding them unsettling to look at. And I anticipate that also is part of what gives the community a worse image because as we said at the beginning of this episode, that's the really visible part of the community or a, a very visible part Mm -hmm. of the community. Mm -hmm. Also for those who grew up in the internet age or grew up with the internet, I really think the pervasiveness of furry porn jaundices a lot of attitudes to furdom because it's, I don't I just feel like if you were born after like 1990 or even before that, you've come into contact with furry porn. Yeah. And anime. Anime tentacle porn. <laughs> and if you haven't been desensitized or haven't started along that process, or, yeah, actually, no, it's just the desensitization. If you're not desensitized to it, your initial response to seeing, like, two anthropomorphic turtles fucking <laughs> is disgust. <laughs> and I expect that also goes quite a way to explaining why, why furries are a particular fandom who have a much worse public image than, say, Trekkies. Mm, mm. There have been efforts within the furry community to improve the public image, and I find this really interesting. There's, so there was a group called the Burned Furs who didn't last for very long. They didn't... Let's have a look. Yeah. Existed mostly between 1998 and 2001. They were restarted by different people in 2005 but I don't think they're nearly as prominent as they were in that initial period. These were, these were furries themselves who, who felt that the furry community was harboring sort of sexual perverts mm, mm. and things like yeah. that, and that was giving the entire community a bad name. So you had, you had furries who just liked pictures of anthropomorphic animals doing stuff. And they were being unfairly maligned by a public whose idea of furdom was, was informed by people who were into different sexual fetishes. So, things like zoophilia, for mm. example, is apparently still in the furry community a real point of contention. But the, the burned furs mm. saw, saw a lot of the, the more unusual sexual fetishes within the furry community as a real source of weakness. Mm and really tried to to get rid of it, but the furry community react on the whole reacted very badly to that and the the project was unsuccessful. I, I'm I'm willing to bet a lot of money that the volume of of furry fetish porn being produced now is far in excess of that mm-hmm. which was produced between ninety nine and two thousand. Did you read much about the uh, furry stance, furries community, different stances on zoophilia? actually didn't come across that i read a bit because that's a really good point i hadn't even considered that it's meant to be a way that will easily get a furry or most furries very upset and defensive is if you accuse them of being zoophiles yeah which (laughs) is fair fair (laughs) enough (laughs) i wouldn't appreciate being called that (laughs) so i think there's a there's a minority who think that zoophilia is fine it's totally cool most furries so okay <laughs> most the, the, the furry community are not going to... <laughs> many furries are also really interested in animal rights or yeah. like in in not being cruel to animals in animal welfare which makes sense yeah many of them view zoophilia as animal abuse which which, <laughs> which is fair also enough <laughs> fair enough <laughs> i also so the, the furry community is um very very loath to yuck someone's yum however i'm quite happy to yuck the yum of wanting to have sex with a human animal so not only do i have a problem with it from the perspective of animal cruelty i also think if you want to have sex with like a dog or something you've got some serious fucking problems that is one of the stranger things that humans do isn't it yeah Uh, (laughs) it's it's very strange (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I guess some yums deserve to be yucked, don't they? <laughs> yeah, I I don't think there's a blanket no yucking yums. I think some yums are <laughs> definitely yuckable. no. So the discussion of zoophilia mostly it's it's mostly frowned on. That said, like it's an entire community which has a significant part of it dedicated to depicting sex acts between anthropomorphic anthropomorphic animals, animals, but they're They're still still pretty animalistic. (laughs) They still have (laughs) tails and paws and animal ears. I think Mm. it's also there's a distinction between people who say, okay, you can depict zoophilia and that's okay, Mm. and then... Like you have the small minority, the hardcore people who say no, zoophilia in real life is okay as well. Ugh, man, I'm I'm really I just don't know how I would manage a conversation with somebody like if I actually met somebody who is say holding either one of those positions. Honestly, I, I guess mm. I could make the concession to the person who's talking about depiction as I could say like, well, I guess no animals are actually being hurt, but it's still pretty weird. Yeah, um, I would. Say, yeah, with that, I'd, it's like. It's weird. <laughs> and, <laughs> it's weird. And it's weird and not weird in necessarily a cool way. It's weird in a like <laughs> keep that to yourself. <laughs> don't tell anyone. And like, you're not hurting weird anyone fine. Cool Just don't yeah. <laughs> don't tell this to other people and expect them to be understood. Yeah, and definitely like keep it constrained to to the second dimension depictions agro- g- animated depictions don't you know like have a hard boundary for yourself <laughs> i just think that if you're really if you are jacking off to like uh, animated depictions of zoophilic porn or like furry cock vor or whatever you, you should really like i don't know just reflect on how you got into that yeah. position yeah <laughs> like what's I, I going on this this is more broadly a problem with porn in that i I just don't think much porn consumption, if any porn consumption at all, is good for you. Like, that level of sexual stimulation of being able to view, like, you know, in one session, at how many different people having sex, that level of sexual stimulation has all sorts of downsides. Like, it has, for guys, like, you have people in their mid-twenties with erectile dysfunction from watching tons of porn, mm. and, like, mm. that just shouldn't be happening. Mm. You should be fine. At that age, like through your thirties and forties too, like everything should be working. Really, it should be harder until the day you die. One hundred and twenty, which is <laughs> <a> raging, <laughs> raging hard on, raging boner. Yeah. So there's there's that. There's also the desensitization, which we talked about earlier, where like it's it's a hedonic treadmill. Like you're just looking for something that's going to give you that squirt of dopamine, and you adapt to, to a, a high level of sexual stimulation. And so you, you look for progressively more extreme or just novel forms of porn. And I anticipate that's where this sort of stuff comes from. It's like maybe, you know, humans, the human experience is broad and varied. However, I anticipate most people who are into, like we keep talking about furry cock for, furry cock for <laughs> as the, the canonical example of pornographic excess. There, there are so few people who who just de novo want furry cockville. <laughs> That's the sort of thing that comes from just sexual overstimulation or over-stimu- sexual overstimulation purely from a visual perspective. So sex shorn of any sort of love or intimacy, mm. it's a, a purely mechanical animal visual mm. aspect of sex. So, a lot of this weird stuff, I think, is actually just a consequence of porn, more broadly. Yeah. I think people should be allowed to watch it, but at the same time, people should not be kidding themselves that it is remotely good for. You them. know what's really interesting, though, is, like, I've met a lot of people in my life. You know, you've probably, like, if you've lived in a, uh, a major city and gone to, uh, like, um, a decent-sized university, by the time you're 30 say, you've probably met thousands, thousands of people, mm. maybe 3,000 people, something like that. Um, not one of them stands out to me as the sort of person who would be into furry <laughs> cock or, or zoophilic porn. And yet somewhere out there in the world there's like somebody filming themselves getting fucked by like a Great Dane or something. <laughs> and and i don't know where these people are the world is just so yeah and which which to which but they can publish it to the internet most furries as well will hear about that person filming themselves having sex with a great dad (laughs) and say like no that's (laughs) that's fucked up that's not us and that's like that's fair enough like most furries are not on board with that in any way. Fur is probably pissed off at this episode just because we've spoken about this so much in relation to this. We've spoken about it so much, but also it's, so part of it is, you know, this, this is the perspective of furdom f- from, or of furdom from people who are not furries, who are not experienced in this community. And it is important to acknowledge that a lot, a lot of the exterior appearance of furdom is pornographic. Because that that just is a lot of what is produced. Very generative community. A lot of the generation is pornographic. Holy shit. You know what I just found? Just slight change of topic. Mm. Furscience.com. So we were reading the... That is a really, really interesting site. They actually have published site. in 2017. They took five years of first science and turned it into a free PDF, which I'll send to you now. We could, we could have read this for this episode, but we didn't. Um, it's probably pretty boring. I mean a lot of it's about like demographics and stuff. Um. No, that's really interesting. Let's let's talk <laughs> okay, about Okay. So that. like Age of Furries. Okay, let's see. So they broadly speaking though, let's just say what what um furscience.com Oh means. yeah, so first <laughs> a bit. It's the public face of the International Anthropomorphic oh, here we go. The International Anthropomorphic Research Project, which is a, a project that studies furries and the furry fandom. Yeah. And then and then compiles the results. And they have of, a of, of a lot of papers, data. and they've got a lot of data. Uh, I I did look at this. If you want a view of furdom that's hmm, not steeped in a lot of furry terminology and doesn't carry with it, a l- it doesn't mm. demand a lot of assumed mm. knowledge to understand. This is a really really good place to go to. I can put the link it's, to it in the show notes. Actually, it's jam packed full of information. So, because it's it, it is at once very it seems very authentically furry. A lot of the researchers involved are themselves furries and not just furries but fursuiters. Whoa, but also it, it's sort of it's putting their best paw forward. It's yeah, it's, it's a really good resource. Um, so let's go over some of these things, some interesting facts. So they've got uh, age of furries, but they start the, the cutoff date for that is 18. So the bottom mm. age um and the vast like it looks like uh so if we take this nearly 20% 15 so i'd say something like 50 or 50% roughly is um is like under the age of of 25 more maybe. yeah it's yeah, a it's a very, very young, young, young fandom to the point where I so the the age cutoff kind varies slightly, but it seems to be roughly thirty years of age. At thirty years of age, you're called a grey muzzle, <laughs> which it does show how young the the fandom mm. is because in the like outside of the furry community, being thirty is not actually all that mm. old, mm. Mm. but in the furry community, that's like you're a grey muzzle. You're you're an elder statesman. Page six has an extremely interesting graph, and the graphs are actual age and subjective age of furries. So it says 25% of furries have say that their subjective age is between 18 and 21, whereas only mm. roughly 20% are actually in that age group. But um, about 10% of people identify in the age group of Ten to seventeen, which is really interesting. Whereas in their surveys, their cutoff was eighteen, so zero percent mm. of their surveyed um, survey participants are actually in that age group. And by looks of it, roughly two percent actually identify as less than ten, or their their subjective age is less than ten, which is super interesting. Mm. Baby furs, yeah. Baby furs is one of the more disturbing parts of this. It is like furry role Ugh, playing ads or depicting very young. People. That's really strange. I don't even know if yeah, that's really weird. Um, that was yeah. So it makes me uncomfortable. Um, <laughs> yeah, and it's okay. So that this is that the, baby furs are definitely a minority within the furry community, and that was one of the groups that the burned furs targeted and said like this is not okay to have in the community and it's not okay to tolerate. I don't quite know where I fall. It's the sort of thing where like if if you are just pretending to be someone of that age among other adults. And I, I really want to reinforce adults pretending to be people of that age. Like, if it's consensual, fine. The thing is, like, that sort of behaviour of depicting underage people, even if they're furries, you know, they're still anthropomorphic, they're, the, the implication is still that they're, they're children. Yeah. Like, that... I just feel like that's a slippery slope. Like, I'd feel. that's like stay un- stay away deep, from that shit. if uh, any, if I was around anybody like that. That's an, <laughs> that's another yum that I'm very comfortable yucking. Yeah, like yeah, just stay the fuck away from yeah. Kids. And there's 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 a uh, yeah. It's strange, you know. There's this sexual fetish. Um, fuck, what's it called? It's like um, it's like where people um, uh, pretend that they're like. Uh, babies or whatever. Have you heard of this? Like, yeah, it, I, I did see that. Uh, yeah. yeah, I don't. I don't know what it's called. Adult diaper oh, or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So if you fuse that with fairy, man, this this is a strange episode. Anyways, back to the demographics. Um, very white. very white. Yeah, overwhelmingly white. Eighty three percent white. Um, yeah. There you go. First Nations Reppin. I mean, these are Native Americans, not native Australians <laughs> so I can't got okay, but at least there's what, some representation what's for, for what's furdom like in the Australian Aboriginal I, I I don't know of any Aboriginal furries <laughs> I personally don't know them you've got to make and it a thing at least in like the parts of, of like the Aboriginal community like because I'm from New South Wales originally so a lot of my family like I just don't even think it would be tolerated. <laughs> <laughs> just, like a lot of my family and stuff are like really into football and, and that sort of thing. So like uh, by football, I mean like NRL, um, rugby league and stuff. And it's just not, um, yeah, Just I just don't see a kid in, in one of my communities back home saying that they're a furry going down well <laughs> at all yeah i I'm not surprised. Like this seems like a pretty white thing to do. <laughs> oh, you know what's even funny? It's page eight, like percentage of fandom identifying as Asian. So remember eighty three percent of of furries are white. and yet eighteen and yet, oh no, sorry, I'm misreading the graph. Sorry, I No, oh, this it. is anime I, yeah, so online. that was anime online. <laughs> I was just about to say that uh, it was the furries, but no, obviously it's the anime people who are overidentifying as Asian. Yeah, it's also a very, very male-dominated um, community. So sev- of the people surveyed, seventy-two percent were of the male sex, sixty-seven percent identified with the male gender. Hmm. So that's that's interesting. Yeah, and hmm. actually, I'm not. Well, I'm sure we'll find the the data here as well the the community is yeah there, there are many more gay and bi people many more transgender people within the furry community than there are within like the the community at large oh yeah 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 and it's it's so this is a nice aspect of it it's a very accepting space in the case of some things like baby furs or sophilia i think they could probably stand to be a bit more judgemental accepting but, in some situations yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But yeah, it's it's a very or a much more accepting community. Yeah, which is I can understand why people who might be um, otherwise marginalized in some way or like part of a, a like a a, um, a subgroup that uh, is, already feels excluded or is excluded, seeing furries as potentially a community that's more accepting than. Other subcultures, like for example, like a lot of sports um, subcultures, say like footy in Australia or NFL in the US, don't really strike me as particularly accepting communities. No. Not so really. if you were, say, like a disabled transgendered tr- uh, mixed race person. <laughs> and you look at like, you know, like AFL in Australia. You're probably not thinking, "Oh yeah, that's that's a place where I can go and feel safe and accepted." Mm. <laughs> you know, so maybe they're looking for it's it's a it's a it's one of the communities where they can find some more open minded people. Yeah, yeah. And the 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 male skewing also doesn't surprise me because it's you know it's not all about porn with furries, but <laughs> just like. Furry porn strikes me as a dude thing. It's like, it's a white dude thing. (laughs) Why? It's so weird. I say this as a white dude, (laughs) but this... (laughs) Furdum seems like a white man kind of scene, (laughs) And it kind of is. (laughs) I'm not going to pass judgment as a non-white male. Um, (laughs) I'm just going to say that like... I'm not going to disagree with your character. (laughs) Um, Income is interesting. Like, pretty low income, but, you know, they have to control for the age. Like, they have a lot of young people. So, if you control for age, maybe there's nothing interesting there. If you control for age, then it's kind of expected. Uh, Because it's like. Very few people under twenty-five are earning massive, massive yeah. incomes. It's just not not the time of your life. When yeah, a lot happening. of these, a lot of the other um, a lot of the other statistics seem to be like because they haven't controlled for age. Like, say, a lot of them live with their parents, but it's like, yeah, but if you're twenty-two, yeah, you're probably living in you're probably living with your parents still. Um, yeah. Oh wow, this spirituality in- and religion is interesting. They have ex- yeah, like more than fifty percent strongly disagree with being religious. Mm-hmm. Hmm, I wonder if this would fit that into that doesn't. My... That doesn't surprise me. My guess is that this is a, this is probably a fairly like white middle class kind of movement or kind of mm. fandom. While while you definitely so in the United States where I think these data were mm. collected, yeah, you know, a lot of, like a lot of white middle class people are going to be Christian, but at the same time, it's the white middle class which is where a lot of the like they call it atheism but you know white middle class atheism is really not being christian you don't have many like sam harris mm. or or richard dawkins atheists bragging that they're not hindus mm. it's, Yeah. it's always in in opposition to christianity yeah. so that's that's pretty that's expected that's or at least not surprising yeah and we've spoken with well in private jack and i have spoken a lot about meaning and religion and that sort of stuff and i think we've had some of those conversations on the podcast one of the questions that came up for me and and jack has been like the the role of different i suppose cultural phenomena in filling that god shaped hole in our hearts in a secular mm. technological civilization and i guess looking at this uh the just the rate of non spirituality um so like uh, it says like something like 33% are either atheists or agnostics whereas only 24% are christian so uh i wonder to what degree communities like this are fulfilling that part of religion uh that's to do with like having a have a having a community probably to a very large so you extent have these secular I, these these secular subcultures that are playing the role of mm. community that maybe 50 years ago or 100 years ago, that would have been entirely filled by your temple. Like I doubt it ful- fulfils that, any, so- any sort of transcendent sense of meaning, but I think at least in terms of community, it's probably important. And not merely community as in it's a place to meet people, but it is a place to meet people where there's there's an assumed cultural understanding. So it's a place where you can go... And use furry terminology and expect to be understood. Mm. Yeah, I think that's a good mm. point. Yeah, it's really interesting these 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 statistics. And I, I mean, obviously they're they're uh, eight years, maybe seven or eight years now out of date. So it'd be interesting if they published another report like this to see um, what 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 the community is looking like at an aggregate level. Now, it's really interesting though. Mm. I expect the the fandom has only grown in the years after the publication of this this particular research article because while so convention attendance for example covid being the exception but that's not really a reflection of how how engaged the fandom is the number of people attending conventions has just been going up mm, mm, mm. interestingly too in a few places I did read about people within the furry community saying that this is evidence that f- being furry is going to go mainstream eventually, so they just extrapolate out the growth in attendance numbers for conventions. <laughs> they, just, they, so they don't take it evidence into account that, that it's Maybe it's a- an S-curve rather than just a pure, a pure hyperbolic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, or it might even just be a greater utilisation of people already within the furry community attending conferences rather than mm. the, the proportion of people who attend conferences within the broader furry community remaining fixed and it all being a function just of expanding the size of the furry. Yeah, this community. isn't Uber or, like, a network technology, <laughs> guys. You don't just get to extrapolate out <laughs> the curve to <laughs> infinity. <laughs> it's also... I I wonder to what extent many furries would actually want furdom to go mainstream. I imagine they wouldn't like it. Because... So on one hand, I'm sure it's it's not fun at all seeing a community that you really identify with, that you really like, being dismissed as just for perverts mm. or just for people who want to have sex with animals or a variety of these, of these things that, at least from my reading, have been experienced by many furries. I'm sure that's not nice, but at the same time, There does seem to be a real, they seem to really enjoy this sense of belonging to this special club with its own, its own culture, its own, if not language, then at least new terms that they use that are not understood by outsiders. This sense of belonging to this insular special group, I do anticipate many of them enjoy. Mm -hmm. And that probably also goes some way to explaining the appeal of furry conferences to to people. That it's this place you can go and you're you're no longer an individual secret furry in a community of non-furries. You're now with furries, other furries, and you can communicate in real life as you would have communicated online up Mm -hmm. to that point. The conferences are really interesting though, and in some ways they they both represent what I think are the, the best aspects of the furry community in that it's a place where people who might not feel like they fit in in other places can go and feel a real sense of community. They're places of artistic generation. At the same time, though, s- some of the furry stereotypes that many furry websites say are absolutely untrue. are kind of hinted to have elements of truth to them in in aspects of the convention. So for example, I think there's the the 621 rule. What's what's that? I found <laughs> the 621 uh, rule. <laughs> Sounds suspicious, uh, Deep- I'm deeply suspicious. <laughs> yeah. So apparently this is common knowledge for furry convention attendees. The 621 rule gets 6 hours of good sleep each night, eat 2 good meals a day, take one good shower each morning. So among Like, on almost all of the convention etiquette guides I saw, they very quickly tell people to shower and to wash. And it's like, look. Fair enough, I guess. (laughs) I mean, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm just saying in most communities, do you need to keep telling people (laughs) to 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 wash? (laughs) So there's a bunch of horny young adults between the age of, like, 18 and 24 for the most part. Mm. running around all day like having fun doing their doing their thing that they like doing might just forget to have a shower. And probably the overwhelming yeah, majority yeah. of them are male, I imagine. Oh, I'm I'm sure. There's also the idea of of furry yeah, con funk. Confunk. Confunk, con-funk or convention funk. It's all the dirt and odors that accumulate on your body during the course of a convention. And they say that this can leave, if you don't wash it off, to concrud, which is which is like convention this convention illness. But as expected at, at furry conventions, like probably at any People convention. Like it's a great spot for infectious yeah. diseases. But it I'm assuming uh, this is showing my bias. I'm assuming it's similar at some anime conventions. Mm-hmm. There are just certain fandoms which are not famed for hygiene. <laughs> and for whatever reason, the, the furry community, at least at the convention, seems to have a hygiene problem. Because otherwise, why would there be so many instances of organisers or people who go to conventions saying, you need to wash. Like, you just, you need to have at least a shower yeah. each day. I think, uh, yeah, it's, 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 a strange, it's a strange thing. Do you reckon they end up with con dick cheese? Because <laughs> they haven't they haven't oh washed their dick God. in like six days <laughs> running around in their fursuit. But horrendous funk coming off their their um furry cocks. they junk. <laughs> funk off the junk. <laughs> yeah. Uh- <laughs> hey uh, there's another interesting part from the fur science publication. Yeah. That's looking at furry motivation. Really interesting. interesting. It says that uh it looks something like uh sixty-five percent of respondents answered five, six or seven out of um out of seven for the question of like mm. um belongingness, the your motivation. Okay. So, for- uh, yeah, so there's a scale, there's a scale of agreement. Yeah. Strongly disagree for, qu- to for questions where one is strongly disagree, up to seven strongly agree. And okay, so they asked your motivation for joining the furry is fandom is it belongingness strongly yeah. agree most people agree or strongly agree um yeah which is uh really interesting i mean it's kind of mm. as we were sort of saying before it's not entirely surprising um but it is what's interesting is it's is it's much higher belongingness is much higher um a motivation within the furry community than by the looks of it, the anime community and the sports community. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Another interesting one was aesthetics and beauty. Seems to be mm. not as strong as strongly biased, but still, it's it's a it's a thing. Self esteem. Oh, escape! Look at escape on page forty. Oh yeah. wow, yeah. it's incredibly strong. Oh, that's that's heavily skewed, heavily skewed towards the seven. The yes, strongly nearly thirty five percent of. Participants said strongly agree. 20% said six out of seven, and another 20% said five out of seven. So, for that, that would mean like, so 2020s or so. Over 70% of people um, are saying that they're escaping. That's super interesting. And then the next chart is fan motivation. Entertainment is also very heavily skewed towards six and seven. On the agreement scale, fantastic. There is there's a tiny number of people who have strongly disagree. I really (laughs) wonder which furries are like. I'm not here for the entertainment. I I this is not entertaining at all. I don't like it, but I'm still engaging. (laughs) I'm only here for the aesthetic (laughs) appreciation. (laughs) The the aesthetic appreciation, which is painful. Not entertaining. Attention. Not that many people are into it because of attention, it seems, which is, is cool. Yeah. Sexual attraction is not nearly as strongly skewed as one might think. Mm. Only, only 20% of respondents said they strongly agree. Uh, can I, Actually, you know what? I might read out this part, this section, underneath sexual attraction. Yeah, yeah. It says, it so, okay, so just so you guys know. 15% of respondents said strongly disagree with the sexual attraction motivation, whereas 20% said strongly agree, uh, 15% roughly said six out of seven, and another 15% said five out of seven. So, still a fair chunk of change. It's still, still definitely skewed a kind towards of towards sexual attraction, attraction. attraction. being yeah. a motivator. Um, so, it says underneath in discussing this point, quote, while stereotypes often exclusively portray furries as people with a fetish, the data, see the figure above, suggests that um, more, variability, suggests more variability of responses. While about 23% of the fandom states that sexual attraction, attraction has nothing or very little to do with furry interests, about 37% of respondents stated that sexual attraction to furry content is a motivator for their participation. Compared to other fandoms, furries are more likely to be motivated by sex. However, two caveats should be noted. First, the importance of sex is below the midpoint of the scale. Less than four out of seven. Suggesting that more important is not the same thing as very important. Second, and perhaps more importantly, sex as a motivator was far lower for furries than either belongingness or entertainment. Suggesting that while sex is certainly a motivator for some furries, it is not the primary motivating factor for most furries. This is also why it is Factually incorrect to define the furry fandom as "quote a fetish." Were this the case, one would expect sex to be a primary motivator of furry interest, while little variability in, with f- little variability in the data, like the responses distribution for entertainment or belongingness. Yeah, I think that's very fair, and I wouldn't I wouldn't define furry fandom as a fetish. I'd say it's it's a it's a community which can turn to fetishism very easily and very quickly. And uh, just the, the mass of furry porn does suggest that. The mass and quantity and diversity. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it just says so. And also the money in it. So apparently a lot of furry artists start- So some of them will draw porn just because they like furry porn and want to produce more mm. of it. Many of them will produce a lot of furry porn because that's just what gets money. Like that's what people are going to pay for while it might not be the most the most important aspect of the furry community to many furries it's still there's still kind of revealed preference at work like a lot of people or at least there's a lot of furry porn being consumed and it's unlikely that like 2% of the community is just consuming yeah <laughs> masses and masses and look, masses I'm sure, of porn it's probably I'm more sure even something close to 100% of furries have at least had a look <laughs> yeah um can i read another section this is uh furry as a choice this is super interesting furry as a choice Hmm. um so it's got uh a a graph down here that explains uh belief that furry is a choice and you can wait sorry sorry to interrupt i just the fan motivation sexual attraction comparing furries to to other (laughs) sports fans so sports fans much lower. like it's it's very low this the sexual attraction being a motivation for watching sport, but there are still some. <laughs> suppose it depends what sports you're watching. What sport you're watching? Powerlifting. <laughs> Just want a big, sweaty, hairy dude in a squat suit. <laughs> the most aesthetic sport on earth. Um, yeah, so furry has a choice. So there's two responses. Well, there was three responses, but they seem to have left out. I don't know, but you can say yes, furry is a choice or no furry is not a choice, but then they disaggregated the respondents between furry respondents and non furry respondents, and uh thirty percent of furries said that f- being a furry is a choice, whereas f- um, uh forty five percent of non furries said that being a furry is a choice and nearly 40% of furries said that, no, it is not a choice, whereas only about 20% of non-furries said that it's not a choice. So there's this strong bias towards amongst furries, the belief that uh, being a furry is not a choice. It's somehow Mm. a part of your identity or um, character composition. And the discussion says that... Um, furries were twice as likely as non furries to say that furry was not a choice. This may highlight a potential point of tension between furries and non-furries who may hold negative attitudes towards furries. To the extent that non-furries believe that a person who chooses to be a furry could simply, quote, stop being furry to avoid social stigma, they may feel even more negatively about the person. Conversely, to the extent that a furry feels that they are unable to change who they are, i.e., what they find interesting, they may feel powerless against stigma or feel compelled to conceal their furry identity. Mm, mm. That's really interesting. It's like, yeah, is it a choice to be a furry? I suppose we don't really have control over our interests, do we? But we, I suppose we do have a control over no. whether and to what degree we engage with those interests. Like, I really love video games, but I don't play video games. I'm not saying that mm. being a gamer is, is the same thing. I don't have a choice, man. Being a gamer is fucking worse. <laughs> Gamers shouldn't have any rights. <laughs> Below fairies in the social hierarchy. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's interesting because I suppose, yeah, fairies do cop a lot of stigma, don't they? They do. I think this is also, this is a, a definitely noticeable trend mm. and it's based upon a really big unexamined assumption. So, I've noticed many communities that attract hmm. stigma uh, are, are, started on Tumblr. A position, yeah. no, <laughs> yeah, Are positioning themselves as not a choice. It's something that is something that can't be changed, and therefore shouldn't hmm. be judged. The really big assumption there is that you should not be able to judge something that cannot be changed, because such as with this, like so, like suppose. Race? Suppose people say, "Okay, being furry is not a choice." It's still it's still assuming that if it is not a choice, then you can't judge it. I mean, someone could to that say, "Well, I don't like, I don't care if it's a choice or not." You can still be judged. Yeah, that's interesting. Like, just because something's innate, should it, yeah. should, it should it be judged or not? That's really interesting. And I think that's a really big cultural assumption. So that's, I think, all throughout our society, at least Western culture, that. Seems to be the case that people assume that something that can't be changed shouldn't be judged, or at least are much less inclined to judge something. That I can't, find, be yeah, changed. that's a really interesting point. So I was thinking about that with regards to gay marriage recently. Like, yeah, um, yeah, a friend of mine who's gay, I uh, was talking about like gay marriage, and what was interesting about the conversation, just like ten years ago when the um, plebiscite happened in Australia there's a lot of the conversation was about whether or not it's a choice and um hmm. my friend was saying like you know it's not a choice so like why should i be excluded from this institution or whatever and um and i, I was thinking like well it's kind of beside the point whether or not it's a choice like what like even if hmm. it were a choice like you should still be allowed to marry whoever you want like i don't really see why that's that's the uh, sticking point here like um hmm. that uh, the to the to the degree to which it's a choice. Like if you want to fuck a dude, like, <laughs> just like go ahead, be my friend. <laughs> Even if you don't like doing it. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, and yeah, with with this stuff it's like um it, it's almost like uh if you're saying uh I suppose be being a furry is not a choice. Is it is it some way to try to so, like, well, people shouldn't be discriminated for some sort of invariant that they don't have control over. Is that what they're saying? Yeah, I think it's exactly that. And I anticipate it will be probably rhetorically tied to something like being gay. Yeah, or which race, is, like which, which is, at least now in the West, it's mostly accepted. Yeah. And much of the argument for it has been, well, it's an invariant. People can't change it. That's who they are. And so it should be accepted. And I anticipate this particular section is also hinting at that. It's like, okay, being furry should be accepted because it too is an invariant. It's part of identity and therefore shouldn't be judged yeah but yeah i mean there's there's you know like say a zo- zoophile <laughs> that might be invariant they might have an innate unchangeable sexual preference towards great danes <laughs> but mm. that does yeah or e- even more threatening is i've i've heard quite a few people say that pedophilia is also an invariant and suppose it is yeah. invariant i actually don't care yeah it's- it's it's beside the point. It's like okay, say yeah, I, I don't care. If it's that is a part of your sexual construction, and you don't have any control over it. It's like well, keep it in your pants. <laughs> don't don't act on yeah. it if that is the case, and um, that's kind of the end of the conversation. That's why I think like some of these com- like trying to make something an invariant is or like uh, the argument from invariance, um or essentialism or something like that is sometimes it seems like a distraction to me or it seems beside the point yeah yeah so it's like it's interesting that they collected these data around being a furry like furry is a choice and they're not explicitly saying that it it should be used or they, this is evidence that being a furry shouldn't be judged i'm I mean, i'm kind of inferring that just from the cultural yeah. milieu within which this is occurring and it's like what you were saying with it being beside the point like with being a furry like i don't really have a i don't have a problem with someone being a furry it's like whether it's a choice or not actually doesn't really change yeah. my kind of ambivalence of okay fine do it like if if that's what you want to do mm. fine mm. yeah it's yeah i don't really care does it doesn't really does not really hurt anybody yeah. <laughs> um i think like you can be a furry and a creep but you can also be you can yeah. be not a furry and a creep and you can be a furry and not a creep so like um yeah whatever actually there was a really interesting um uh page which is under construction on the first science website unfortunately but maybe mm. you can see if there's somewhere in the uh in in the in the report uh about autism in uh in, yeah, I did come across in, that in a few the furry times. community, which I found really interesting because I I wonder if there is an uh, a high representation of people with neurodivergence in in this community. Like not necessarily, yeah, at autism, least like from different ones as well. So the problem the problem is always it's it's just inherent to basically any measurement problem is that certain things are just more visible than other things and. Is it that neurodivergent people within the furry community are more likely to talk mm. about being neurodivergent? They're more likely to produce cultural artefacts talking about that, perhaps. But at least reading about the furry community, I did get the impression that it is there are a lot of neurodivergent mm. people, in part because I expect it's, it's quite accepting yeah. of them, or very accepting of them. And I think that that could be a really positive aspect of the furry community, that it is a place where, say, autistic people can go and feel like they're not judged. Yeah. And You won't be judged if you're autistic accepted. in the book club from hell. you got two autistic <laughs> co No, no. You're, t- <laughs> you're welcome here. <laughs> We've got some pretty neurodivergent people in the Discord. Definitely got some people who are at least yeah. <laughs> obsessive. <laughs> Yeah, I would say trait obsession is extremely, extremely high in extremely high. our discord. To to if that's not a uh that's not a that's not a complete uh, uh high sensitivity inclusion criteria to be diagnosed with autism, but well, listening to <laughs> us, yeah, Listening to us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, I found that really interesting because if they are a community where yeah. they're more accepting um Because they're already kind of in, like, again, like talking about my gay friends, like a a number of my gay friends who I've spoken to about this, not furries about but other stuff, uh, sort of often cite the reason why they're maybe like more accepting or able to engage things like, Mm. say, transgenderism or whatever um, is because they grew up feeling like they were already outsiders. So they're already acclimated to Mm. being Mm. outside the norm in terms of what their perspective is compared to what, say, like the rest of society thinks. So you have these communities that are already on the outside. They might already be predisposed towards like being more accepting of, of people. Yeah, yeah. And if there is a place where uh, neurodivergent people can go and feel like a part of a community where where being neurodivergent is not something that they have to hide I think that's a really positive yeah. aspect. I guess, yeah, because community. you've got the first owner. Potentially, you can, you know, like yeah, and the first, yeah, you're right. The first owner might also allow them to have almost distance from the person they are in day to day life, where they have to worry mm. about, I don't know, being autistic in a non-autistic world. Although <laughs> that said, with, like, Jack with immediately takes that increasing back. technicization <laughs> of the world. I think the world is becoming more <laughs> autistic. It's, remember the Wish Spangler. Which we need to finish off. <laughs> we'll finish off in the new. year. The yeah, Strangler yeah. came up with the uh, the schizo autistic axes. <laughs> it's like autistic. the world is becoming <laughs> both more autistic and more schizo. The bigger the internet gets, yeah, and definitely. the wilder the recommendation algorithms get. Like, I got a recommendation because I, I watched a, an Elon Musk t- getting into an argument with Alex Jones and Andrew Tate the other day. I'm now getting I'm now <laughs> getting Andrew Tate suggestions, but I've also been watching a lot of The Lord of the Rings. So I got this one suggestion. From the algorithm saying, like, um, uh, the Lord of the Rings, if Gollum was Andrew Tate. <laughs> and then what it's the- like a mashup of Andrew Gollum. Andrew Tate is such a goober. <laughs> I felt so let down by him because I'd heard so much about how he's this extremely controversial figure, just dropping inflammatory uh, things left, right, and center. He'll just say the craziest shit. And then I listened to him. He's such a goober. I got like, if, if this is what he's people not, are getting in a moral panic over. He's a bit of a douchebag. Like, he's inflammatory. Like, he says vile stuff yeah. about women. And that's things, that's really what he got a, on the internet. About, right? That is not unusual. B, he's just. I think part of it might be his accent. <laughs> he just. His accent and his voice and the way he moves when he speaks just makes it impossible for me to take him, like, not seriously, but not even seriously as. As a joke, he's not a very he's, good villain material, is he? I think he's just really heinously no. <laughs> um, sexist, right? He's just really sexist. So, yeah, yeah. But I was I was expecting more from what I'd heard of him than he's just villain. like this dude, this dude with a weird accent and a kind of jelly bean face saying rude things about women. I expected way more from him, but he was mm. such a letdown. Anyway, with, we'll probably do an Andrew Tate. Episode eventually, but I was I felt I think so we disappointed. Do an Tate episode his Alex Jones lives up to the heart Alex Jones much is more. way cooler than Andrew Tate. Alex Jones is much more fun to listen to because it <laughs> it it feels like that is what acute psychosis feels like. Just listening to Alex Jones for long enough, just the intensely free associative reasoning. I would love anyway, to listen to yeah, John uh, Peterson. Get into an argument with Alex Jones. Just let the let them off the want <laughs> oh, on one another. That. I do not think just I do, the I kings of I associative thinking. Loose associative thinking. <laughs> <laughs> no, okay. So getting into an argument is one thing. Imagine listening to them violently agreeing <laughs> with each other. Yeah. Just bitching about <laughs> within 30 seconds you will lose your grip on bitching reality. Bitching about the globalists and the environmentalists. <laughs> the globalists were in the belly of the beast. So, oh, yeah, it sounds it sounds <laughs> That's, that sounds That sounds that like something that I I couldn't. Consider. I found another interesting part of the uh, of the furry uh, yeah. paper. They said sex, sexual orientation, and they're comparing non-furries with furries. So, mm. um, exclusively heterosexual. Eighty percent of non-furries said they're exclusively heterosexual, mm. and then there's a very small number of, of like. Um, the rest of the range up to exclusively homosexual amongst non-furries. Whereas the mm. furries have a nice, fairly even spread across all the different, mm-hmm. like, sort of exclusively heterosexual, equally homosexual, heterosexual, and then exclusively homosexual. They have a lot more even mm. spread mm. across all of those, which I found interesting. That's that's kind of nice. Um, that's it, like, uh, sexual orientation. Yep. It's kind of, again, it's, I guess if it's, uh, if it's already, like, a kind of... Like, it sort of fits into all the stuff that we've already been saying. Yeah. Yeah, that... Those data didn't really surprise me. Like, with the neurodivergent stuff, like, it's a nice aspect of the fairy community that it's non-judgmental along those, those axes of, say, sexual orientation or neurodivergent. 60% of people who have a partner in the fairy community say that they met as furries.
1: That is crazy.
0: Okay. So going, (laughs) I can see that happening as well. So if it depends on to what extent or how central being a furry is to your identity, like if it's just something that you're kind of interested in, I suppose it'd be less important, but if you're a really diehard furry and you're going to conventions, you might even have a fursuit like it it's kind of obvious that so you're, you, you're much more likely to get into a relationship with someone else who's into the same stuff that you are, and where are you going to find those sorts of people? So also in the furry community. So that makes a lot yeah, of I sense. Guess it must, I guess what I'm getting out of this is that it's actually being a furry is actually potentially quite a significant part of somebody's life. It's not just like a minor Yeah, and interest. there's definitely a spectrum. Yeah. There's definitely a spectrum because there are some people who they are they're just into drawings of anthropomorphic animals and it doesn't go much beyond that. But there do seem to be quite a few people who who really get into this community. And, yeah, nat- I guess naturally they're going to interact with other people who are mm-hmm. really into the community. And that's probably where a lot of the generativity mm-hmm. comes from. Uh, one more thing about porn. They've got a little frequency of porn news mm-hmm. here. And one question they have is uh, what percentage of the furry art that you view is pornographic? And men said 50%. <laughs> 50% of male responders just mm-hmm. said, yeah, yeah, like half. Half of the art that I consume is porn. (laughs) Yeah. Which, because I guess like, like, it depends on how you want to spin it. So for people who want to, who really want to present the furry community as not being about porn could say, look, half the stuff they're consuming is not porn. But it does mean it's actually half of the time you're interacting with art that's furry is pornographic. (laughs) Because I think about, what proportion of basically any other medium you interact with being mm. porn, and then compare it to fifty percent of people saying yeah, like, yeah, like that half. I don't know. Like, or, I guess it'd be interesting to see anime side by side of anime. Anime, yeah, like, I imagine yeah, that'd yeah. be yeah. pretty high. It'd be high, 50%. but probably not fifty percent. Just because with anime, there are just there are so many non-pornographic anime series. There's a lot of non-porn content that people can be yeah. consuming. My guess is it's going to be less than fifty percent. But then again, I, I've I don't watch anime, so I mm. I don't know much about that. community. Looks like they have a much higher prevalence of artists as well than maybe like. Doesn't surprise me at all. Mainstream. Like, it's such a creative community. It it doesn't surprise me at all that that there there are a lot of artists, particularly visual artists, given the centrality of art to the furry community overall what i'm getting from like these stats and um <laughs> sorry, i sorry i was gonna make a sensible point but before i make a sensible point <laughs> they've got a, a section 8.2 attitudes towards bronies <laughs> <laughs> what, what do you think of bronies, think of bronies? <laughs> um furry uh let me see so it seems as though furries are uh, uh, m- have a more added, a more positive attitude towards bronies than the mainstream. Is <laughs> essentially what yeah. we're picking up. Uh- but I was interested in that because it really could go either way. Because on one hand, sh- yeah, I'm sure furries are much more understanding of yeah. of bronies. In the both, so they're not the same, but. There's a lot of overlap between being into anthropomorphic cartoon animals and being into, like, talking cartoon ponies. There's a lot of overlap. But in that overlap, oftentimes fandoms, when they're interested in things where there's a lot of overlap, get really, really... They, they really tribalize and don't like the other fandom that's too similar to them. So it's interesting to see that it's gone much more in the oh, direction of... Oh, wait a second. No, of- there's another... There is no, there's another section here that says um, most relevant, however, was the fact that furries also rated bronies significantly more negative than they did the average non-furry, suggesting that their negative attitudes <laughs> oh, were specific really? to the brony fandom and not just anyone who is not furry. Oh, I think I might have been reading it the other way around. So before it was saying, like, bronies. Ah. Oh. Uh, let me see. Oh, the average. Uh, the data shows that while bronies felt positively about um, bronies, furries, furries had mixed feelings. Yeah, so bronies essentially, bronies are not so hard on furries, but furries are kind of hard on bronies. <laughs> <laughs> mm, mm, mm. I do often find there are these hierarchies in sort of in how totalizing a fandom is. In that, I found that. Okay, so fur, many furries and many otherkin don't seem to quite trust each other, but it, it did strike me, reading through otherkin stuff, reading through furry stuff, that probably more otherkin look down on furries than furries look down on otherkin. Because in some way, like identifying as an animal is more totalizing than identifying with a fursona, which you know, could be a wolf or a fox or a dog or a big cat, dragon, etc. And then... I guess with furries, it's a more totalizing community than, oh, well, bronie's just like one type of animal <laughs> and one particular so, uh, depiction of depiction of them of it of animals. yeah, that's that the gatekeepy aspect is quite funny. There was a I think it was the vor page on Wikifur I got real gatekeeping <laughs> yeah. energy from because they were gatekeeping what qualifies as vor porn and what doesn't. Uh, and I thought, listen, mate, this is not a hill I would die on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to gatekeep what is and what isn't very porn. Okay, so I, I just adding to that point about like the reasons why they might be. So, uh, uh discriminating against bronies. Uh, section 8.3, stigma justification. Quote, whilst there are many furries who hold positive opinions of bronies, it raises the question of why so many furries feel negatively or at least ambivalently towards bronies. We asked participants if they had a negative attitude towards bronies to indicate why they felt that way. These responses were coded, blah, blah, blah. Um, And here's some of the reasons why. So 17% of furries said that bronies are obnoxious, excessive, or attempt to force their culture on others. 15% said that bronies are just not the same as furries. 13% that they just have a general dislike for them. 12% of furries said they, they, they don't dislike the culture itself but dislike specific bronies. Another 12% said it's unimaginative, a fad, shallow, or one-dimensional. And another 12% said it's silly, dumb, or immature. <laughs> <laughs> that's really fun it just it that could almost be like metal fans talking about hardcore yeah yeah, yeah. Or the other way around it's always it's always these communities where it's like they they like things that are quite similar but not exactly the same and that just engenders so much completely irrational distrust that's so weird yeah, so so much of this, this this just could be the dynamics between like yeah, because f- as an outsider, I would have thought that being a brony is potentially a, a a proper subset of being a furry. Uh, um, mm. but apparently this is just not the case. Like, there's actually some anta- antagonism, <laughs> and furries don't <laughs> apparently really like bronies. <laughs> uh, yeah, that is really that funny. Is very funny. That is very good. <laughs> what about this part? So I'm looking at so section 3 is on species choice for the first yep. owner. So you've got species popularity is interesting. So most popular first owner species, most popular a bit over 14% is hybrid. But then very closely following hybrid is wolf. Then you've got a, a bit of a, you've got quite a drop to maybe 11-12%, tw- fox then dog, then big cat, dragon, mm, mm, then yep. mythical. I really like that. Kind of to be expected. I've seen a yeah. lot of wolf. There's something about wolves that And then most popular like. first owner hybrids. So the most popular is dog slash wolf. And then you've got fox mm. slash wolf. Then a, those are by far the most popular. Then a big drop to dragon slash wolf. So dog wolf, fox wolf, considering that besides hybrids, the most popular... Are wolves and foxes? I'd say yeah. So wolf and fox and dog are by far mm. the most popular yeah. fur owner species. But you can see in there, it's uh, like hybrid. Mo- a lot of the time, it's oh, well, we'll just put a wolf and a fox together, or a wolf and a dog together. So you know they've got like most popular wolf fur owners, most popular fox fur owners. Unspecified is basically always the most popular. Mm. Yeah, subgroup. Yeah. It is interesting getting into mythical owners. So I didn't see this coming. So the most and common dragon. mythical fursona type is Pokemon. <laughs> yeah. At nice. Probably like 26, 27%. Then Griffin at 14%. And then video game at oh, 10%. Yeah, I wonder which video games, like Fallout New Vegas or <laughs> Halo Combat Evolve, Corps. just pretending to be a swamp. <laughs> Be one of the grunts
1: <laughs> ah,
0: he's coming He's coming <laughs> Okay so you've got okay, Most popular Pokemon first owners Run 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 So they've, they've got The most popular is Other at 20% And that represents 63% of all Pokemon The most common single Pokemon is Lucario What is Lucario Yeah Lucario is like? cool Here we go Yeah, that Yeah that looks pretty It looks like a blue fox With some spikes on it It's just a cool blue fox Yeah we'll just put that down to cool fox What do we get next Raichu Okay Raichu is old enough that I Like I had a Raichu When did Lucario come along Must be a more modern one It's it's after our time Yeah I don't recognise that one Pretty cool though Raichu Eevee Vaporeon Absol Leafeon Yeah So these are all kind of the expected ones Yeah Not many Pikachus Pikachu's lame. Ratchet's way cooler. Most popular marsupial first owners: is kangaroo at over 70%. Yeah, kangaroo yeah. is crushing a, it among marsupial first owners. I mean, I guess what else would you be? like? Oh, you, like a possum? I'd be a patty melon. <laughs> <laughs> Those things are so funny looking. Everybody who's listening go and look up patty melon. Go and look up a patty, patty melon in Tasmania. Majestic these, <laughs> these little they're kind of like they just look like a ball. little squat kangaroo looking creatures They're re- more closely related to um wallabies, but they got big fat asses. <laughs> they should be the um they should be the uh on the emblem for Tasmania. <laughs> <laughs> patty melons oh, little fatties <laughs> one very interesting thing so section 3.3 reasons for species choice so one of so again it's the one to seven agreement scale one being not at all seven being very much agreement species choice innate connection so by far it was not at all one on the agreement scale that was the most popular selection at I'd say thirty three percent. so this is a this is a big distinction between being a furry and being another mm. kin, or you know between most of the furry community and the other kin community is a lot of the time people don't really feel a deep innate connection to their first owner. They might feel some, but you you definitely have some people you've got some distribution of you know between. Say two and four on the agreement scale, but most people are saying that they're not really feeling a a really, really deep innate connection with their first Mm -hmm. owner species. Mm -hmm. It's also few respondents feel trapped in a human body, that they're an alternate species. Yeah, you can see that distinction between other kin and and uh, furries coming through. Where basically all other kin will be saying very much feel trapped in a human body. So. Reasons why they do select the first owner is they, they share characteristics. Yeah. And this is interesting. So, the answers to this one, you know, why did you choose your species choice on the basis of shared characteristics? You have, you have many more people. It's clustering much more on the agreement side of the scale. Yeah, that, that section was really interesting. There's also an, a section mm. a little bit after that where they talk about like what it represents. I'll see if I can find it again. Like nine something or eight something. No, I can't. Um, where they talk about like why like what does it mean to you? See if we can find this um for your furry, is it allowing you to be like your ideal self or whatever? and yeah, that was one of the one of the strongest responses was, yeah, it allows me to explore novel personality mm, traits, mm. but also it allows me to be my ideal self, yeah, so if you're like introverted, it's an opportunity for you to kind of put on this persona that is much more extroverted or more attractive or charismatic or whatever yeah really yeah interestingly though it also so they asked respondents how similar is your first owner to yourself and the the results cluster very strongly in the agreement side of things so the first owner seems to be it's not qualitatively different from the person it might be an accentuation of some of their characteristics but it's at least for most of these respondents similar to their their self or their self outside of the first owner yeah, super interesting i've got a I've got a part here that a couple of parts here that are a little bit further along, which I found really interesting um mm. this section about bullying, which I want to read yeah. out a little part of it um yeah, it says quote. Participants were asked about the extent to which they experienced different types of bullying at different points in their lives. Even after statistically controlling for the fact that furries are more likely to be non-heterosexual or transgender, both of which themselves are associated with a history of bullying, furries still experienced Mm. significantly more bullying than the average person, whether measured as being physically beaten up, teased, or ostracized. Many furries, 48% reported being bullied from the age of four to 10, 61% of furries reported being bullied from the ages of eight to 11 and 15 percent report being bullied from the ages of uh 19 to 24 this suggests not only that furries are more likely than the average person to be bullied almost twice as likely in the same age group um but the majority of furries are bullied at some point in their lives the difference in bullying were almost always prominent during the ages of eight to 11 um which is to be expected i suppose yeah and Mm. so i found that that was really interesting. It's like even controlling for being, say, transgendered or whatever, being mm. a furry is going to make your life harder, <laughs> at least in, yeah. in high school. Yeah, and- <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not not surprising. Then, um, then uh, the the section after that is also really really interesting, which I think you might like to discuss. Which is the intra fandom stigma. So the the stigma between different subsets of or different sub communities within furrydom um, and so they've got uh, basically an axis here, which is saying like how positive. Which which it's page one thirty nine and one forty. Okay. Um, the graph is basically saying do people have a negative or a positive view towards these different types, different subgroups within the furry community? And obviously, say artists and writers and musicians are very highly regarded, very highly regarded mm. suiters as well, which I, I assume means people who make mm-hmm. the furry suits. Mm-hmm. Therians and other kin, not quite neutral, a little bit positive, but like essentially neutral. Yeah. <laughs> but then it has. But, but consider though that other kin probably within the the broader community would be viewed negatively. Negatively. Yes. That's like that. That actually is. That's a good. Very. Yeah. Tolerant. That's a highly tolerant like, community. Yeah. But then it has fetishes. Uh, slightly negative. Very slightly. It's like probably essentially neutral vampires are not viewed well and baby furs and nazi furs baby furs and nazi <laughs> are, furs are viewed very negatively <laughs> yeah funnily enough nazi furs are not viewed as negatively as artists are viewed positively <laughs> i feel like there should be okay so the, the wiki fur page on nazi furs was very very okay, funny it because it's it's this it feels very defensive Of the Nazi furs. So I quote, here we go. The Nazi furs symbol is a black paw on a white circle against a red Mm. background. The black-white-red colour scheme is reminiscent of the state flag of Nazi Germany and is often worn in the form of an armband. According to the moderators of the group, the symbol was created not as a means of spreading hatred or to symbolise intolerance, but in a spirit of understanding that images like the swastika could potentially cause emotional distress to some people. <laughs> they, uh, they made sure to reinforce on the wiki fur page about Nazi furs that Nazi furs are not actually Nazis. They just really, really like World War II-era German aesthetics and like exploring that, that period of history. And also really like furries. Or uh, otherwise known as Fursies. <laughs> fursies. Yeah, it's- or die Deutsch fur furmarkt. <laughs> yeah, it's like like if that's if that's what you're into, okay. Oh, it's they've also got so Also fans. like hmm. I'm gonna find it weird. And I feel like with some of these things, like it's 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 good to try to expect that people are going to, if not you know, not judge, then at least be polite about your interests. I do think, though, there is a point at which your interests grow so strange that I actually become unsympathetic when people are upset that other people judge them and are impolite about them. And Nazi furs is one of those things. It's like, if you're, if you're complaining that people are judging you for being into Nazi furs and for wearing a you know a poor armband, I'm actually totally unsympathetic. It's like, well, what the fuck did you think <laughs> people are gonna <laughs> say to you?? Like, just exercise some social judgment. <laughs> yeah. There yeah. are certain things <laughs> yeah, there, there are certain things where it's like you can do it, but just don't be surprised when people think you're a fucking weirdo for being into Adolf Foxler. Huh. Uh, hmm yeah, I, I think that's yeah, I think that's really reasonable. Like you, come on, like if you're you've got to have like some self-awareness, right? Like if you're into something really yeah, strange, you need some self-awareness. like you can be into it, you can have your Nazi fur friends and you, you can be Nazi furs together, but at the same time, don't be shocked when normies take one look at you and go, "What the <laughs> fuck is that?" Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like if you walk into a McDonald' to be a little Nazi fur. F- Banned, um, and like don't no no don't no. Ex- this this is being used to raise awareness about the ability of the swastika to make people feel uncomfortable. Sure it is. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah, there's an interesting discussion about disabilities, disability in the fandom. Mm, mm. Um, seems as though there's a fairly high. Rate of disabilities. Um, furries with disabilities use their first owners for different functions, with some functions being more frequent. Uh in particular, the m- most popular first owner function for furries with disabilities was as a means of forgetting one's condition, while hiding one's condition when mm. interacting mm. with others was the second most popular function. Um they were uh yeah, so it's a way of uh I think some people like well, the term that I've heard used recently is masking, but it's like very sophisticated form of masking. Um mm. uh to hide their disability during interactions if they had low self-esteem or if they had experienced significant depression or anxiety. This suggests that the use of one's persona to interact with others might seem more feasible when one is experiencing significant distress or dissatisfaction with themselves. Um, yeah, that's super interesting. And it seems like a fairly high proportion of their sample um, have some sort of cognitive or mental health disability which is interesting and i suppose cognitive would include yeah. like a fairly broad range of um mm. it could that could include disability. autism yeah that's cuz i do i do recall seeing a figure yeah about the 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 prevalence of autism in the fur, furry community is far above that of the broader This community. is an absolutely fascinating study. This is a very interesting document. This is yeah. and good find good find Good find, yeah. Good find, self. That was a a general good find to the book club. Well done, book club. They uh, they do talk about post convention depression here, which I find interesting because I saw it. (laughs) They should be talking about post nut guilt. That's what they should. (laughs) (laughs) I've seen this reference in a lot of places and it does make sense. So, what it is is basically furries will go to a furry convention, feel great, feel accepted, feel like they can be. They're in a place where their niche interests mm. are, are shared mm. by basically mm. everyone there. So they can be very, very open about it. And then they feel really low when they leave the convention. And that, I guess that, that makes sense. So I don't have the experience of being into like a subgroup that is, well, that, that has the dynamics of the furry community where within the community, it's, it's in- very intense in that, like they have their own way of speaking mm. They have their own mm. cultural touchstones that are commonly understood by other people within the community mm. and where that understanding just goes off a cliff as soon mm. as you leave the furry mm. community. But I can imagine how if you exist in relative isolation with respect to these interests of yours and then you go to a place where those interests are suddenly shared and then you leave again back to the the rest of the world, how that could feel really dislocating. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair enough. But I do find it interesting that it seems it's it's a common enough experience, this post-con depression, that a lot of people talk about it and it has been studied mm. in this this particular... So fascinating. I don't know if you call it a paper, but this particular primer on so the sociology of furries. I've never been that into anything. That. I, no. I, I don't believe I'm a part of like... Like, even, it's funny, funnily enough, you know, like, say with Bitcoin, which, as mm. long-time listeners know, I uh, I haven't really been talking that much about Bitcoin in the last, like, little while. Um, yeah, that's uh, true. You feeling okay? Look, <laughs> <laughs> well, things have been hard recently, Jack. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, like, I really like it, but I'm not so into it. Like, I haven't been to a Bitcoin conference. Yet <laughs> I don't know, part of me really wants to go to one of those Miami Bitcoin conferences, and part of me absolutely never wants to go to one of those. yeah, they look like actual insanity, like Complete actual insanity externalized <laughs> group insanity yeah, and um yeah, or yeah, pretty much anything, I don't know, like so I guess to me it it's it's an odd. And and say with Bitcoin, Bitcoin's an interesting thing because part of the reason why I haven't been talking about it as much recently or whatever is also because I just, (laughs) uh, just once you reach a certain level of understanding, you just achieve this inner peace when it comes to bitcoin you're just okay with with the world because eventually everybody will use bitcoin and it's fine and it's just a matter of everybody else catching up with what's what's the new technology to use for protecting your wealth from being destroyed by the decrepit, degenerate fiat economic system. Mm. So, <laughs> like, you don't need to proselytize as much once the Holy Spirit. I mean, sorry, once your understanding of Bitcoin has entered your heart. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah. Where, whereas, like, I uh, like with regards to, um, like, being so obsessed with anything for, especially for like multiple years. So, like, say, you know, maybe you start getting into furries at twenty, and then you're in it for maybe five years or something. You're going to conferences. I've just never had that experience with anything, and so I don't know really mm. what it means to be so yeah. deep into an interest that you're. I suppose I mean, could you say like your career? I suppose you spend a lot of time doing your career, but I, I, don't, I don't know. So, I mean, I would consider myself. I, I have yeah. interests, but I don't think of myself as belonging to any fandom, no. and so at. You know, how would you define a fandom? It seems to be a community based around appreciation of some sort of thing. So in the case mm. of furries, the central point seems to be an appreciation of artwork depicting anthropomorphic animals. Mm. And then from that you get, just, just from a, enough people interacting around this central point or these, these few central points, you get a culture arising within the fandom. And that does seem, that's a specific sort of thing as compared to people who just like who are are interested in something but it don't engage with some sort of emergent in some ways exclusive culture that arises around it. So I guess uh, maybe with anime there seem to be like there are people who like anime but aren't part of a fandom because the fandom there's some sort of exclusive aspect of being part of the fandom, it's not sufficient to simply like anime. You need to adopt some aspects of that culture to, I guess, really be part of it. And so those fandom... I've never been interested in anything which has those fandom Being a fan. Fandom. Deep fandom. Yeah. Mm. I haven't either. I don't know. Maybe we need to be more obsessive about things, Jack. Yeah, I, I feel like... There are just other things in my life that need even when I got really into psychedelics. Say, so I I go through periods which are getting really into things, and then I'll just move on to my next thing. Like, um, like with psychedelics, you know, one of my friends suggested that I go to (laughs) Entheogenesis Australis, (laughs) (laughs) which is (laughs) a conference. I say this I say this as someone who genuinely enjoys the psychedelic experience. That doesn't sound fun. That doesn't sound like the sort of thing they want it's, to do. It's a, a bunch of people sitting up, like, outside of Byron Bay or something, like, talking about how good mushrooms are. <laughs> the healing like potential of life. plant medicines. <laughs> they really need that uh, that showering rule at those sorts of conferences too. <laughs> yeah, I imagine that's a sort of fandom where you absolutely would need the showering rule to be enforced. You spray them down with a hose while they're tripping yeah so even i didn't i didn't get into, into going to go into conferences and stuff um yeah maybe we need to be more obsessed i guess about bitcoin things. bitcoin is something where you probably you could become part of a fandom because i think like especially bitcoin twitter like there's a definite fandom feeling yeah. to it i think it, to the degree that i will become a part of "Quote unquote" fandom for Bitcoin. The thing is, it's like it's also just a massive technological revolution. So it's like the people yeah. over the last twenty years who have been going to software conferences or whatever. It's like, well, software is pretty important. So, like, yeah. it's pretty natural for people to. And also, you can make a shitload of money. So that's <laughs> a pretty strong motivation. I guess. Yeah, I guess one <laughs> one distinguishing feature is that, like, not not everyone who's into Bitcoin is is inter- interacting with it in the same way, but. I imagine there are a large number of people who are actually either using it a lot or developing yeah, companies on for it or using it, and, it. and that that also changes. It's not passive consumption of uh, I like looking yeah. at uh, pictures of anthropomorphic animals. Yeah, it's also not a fictional construction. Like it's a piece of technology. Mm. Like so. Um, yeah, it's substanti- substantially different. There will be massive Bitcoin conferences yeah. in the future that lots of people will know about um, that are even bigger than the ones today. And that's because like the, the Bitcoin part of the global economy is just going to get bigger and bigger. So, I would also say there are... Yeah. Like there are Bitcoin conferences, and there are Bitcoin conferences, <laughs> and a, in in a similar sense to with with the furry community, how the most the most brash and outrageous parts of it are oftentimes yeah. like very visible. Max parts. Kaiser went off his head the other year. Yeah, <laughs> Where yeah, yeah. Was that, was that when he was like tearing up dollar bills and setting <laughs> them fucking on fire man. and things like that?
1: To Fuck. zero. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, so that sort of shit makes me look at it and go. Yeah, I'm not I'm not interacting with that part of the Bitcoin community. At the same time, it does look pretty cool. Yeah. I imagine that's also got a, um, a pretty strong male bias as well. Except for Lynn Alden. Shout out to Lynn Alden. She's just released a great new book called Broken Money. It's very good. Strongly recommend. <laughs> if you like learning about Bitcoin, but you don't like cypherdina um, Moose's like, Snide remarks about all the people he disagrees with that Lynn Olden's a much, a much more reasonable <laughs> person to read. <laughs> yeah, I have to say, that the Bitcoin community, so much of it, it seems to be built upon real or perceived personal slights. Almost every Bitcoin, every piece of Bitcoin media I've consumed, almost all of them. There'll be like a section where they just start firing shots. At people <laughs> they just start that talking shit like. about Keynes or whoever. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very personally aggrieved community. Yeah, they're definitely like. It's. I feel like the, there's going to be this like stage of development where it's like with Apple. Like Apple had that 1989 mm. or 1988 Super Bowl commercial where they. It's like nine. It like no. It was 1984, of course. um. Where the guy like runs into into this like room full of people staring at a screen, and then they throw like something at the screen, smash it, and then they had all their marketing about think different and whatnot. And now Apple is like giant megacorp, number one, most powerful megacorp in the world. That's that's Bitcoin. Like at the moment, it's still like somewhat fringe. And people know about it, but people who Fucking are really like into us. it are still fringe, and they're quite antagonistic, and they have a lot of gripes with the current system. But over the course of the next like 10 to 20 years, as it becomes mainstream and then the dominant paradigm, like they're just going to become the grumpy old men who are in charge of the giant mega corporations, and then somebody needs to invent something to take down Bitcoin. But we're still in the like underdog mm-hmm. phase. <laughs> yeah. I guess even with that, though, like my interaction with Bitcoin is it's something I like. like I like it enough to have... To have invested in it, to have taken out huge amounts of debt to buy as much as you can, yeah, 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 <laughs> to, to start shorting things irresponsibly. But it's horse. Like I also don't care enough about it to like really get into the weeds with Twitter arguments and things like that on Bitcoin. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> so I just don't want it's have just to. This is totally worry about a reasonable thing. <laughs> anyway, what else? What else with furries? do You want to talk about? Like, there's the thing with the furry fandom, is we could keep talking basically indefinitely. It goes so deep. What about this? Section 12 is about gender. 12.2, treatment due to gender. Section 13. Page 149. This is interesting. So. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. So it does seem, broadly speaking, these data suggest that So 85% of people interviewed indicated they wish there were more Mm. furry women in Mm. the fandom. 42% of women disagreed with the statement that women in the fandom are treated as equal to men. So most women seem to think, so I seem to have, they'll have responded to that by saying either women are treated the same as men or they don't have an opinion, but that's still a large proportion of women who feel that they're not treated the same as men. 66% of women felt that women in the fandom were put on a pedestal or revered. Mm. Oh, so they're not saying that women f- are treated equal to men in, in like a bad way necessarily. Like they're actually treated mm. like way better Actually, <laughs> and 22% felt that women in the fandom were looked down upon and these two mm. variables were highly mm. correlated. Yeah, interesting. So you've got this Which weird is mixture of both looking down on women and also putting them on a pedestal. That's strange. Yeah, which which is not uncommon Whoa. among among young men. Six which but bear in mind most 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 of the community are young men. That's a not uncommon perspective. 68% for young of women agreed that the fandom was an intimidating place for women. Huh. Mm-hmm. Interesting. It's the first time that this like inclusivity narrative that we've been exploring has been refuted. So with regards to well, not, not refuted. It's just more uh, it's complex. always going to be more yeah. complicated than, oh, this place is 100% accepting or, or yeah. something like yeah. that. Yeah, sure. So there, there are general comments. Many of these sound like, again, it's like young men, young men's relationship with women. So I quote, many women express frustration over having male friends who would try mm. to make a relationship sexual or who were friends with the goal of one day becoming more than just friends. In a similar vein, relationship statuses seem to be a barrier for many women who found it difficult to make male friends when they were in a heterosexual relationship. Mm. And so I just don't think that's... That's not unique to the furry community. So many of these things, I think... So there there will be modifications by virtue of the fact that it is a Mm. fandom. It's Mm. a group of people who are intensely interested in a niche thing. But I'd say the backbone of... These particular relationship dynamics are mostly explained by the fact that much of the fandom uh, is young and mm-hmm. is male. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. Um, another intersection. Several participants expressed <clears throat> concerns that furry artwork portrayed women in an objectifying, derogatory, disrespectful, or unrealistic mm-hmm. fashion. It's, yeah, dude, it's porn. But the, no, they said artwork. They <laughs> Part said of the artwork. Course. So, like, that could include non pornographic. Mm. Uh, okay. So, like, even if they're just drawing a character, that's not engaging in a sexual. I act. would be interested to know actually how they define porn mm-hmm. in this. It's probably you know the, the you know it when you see it test, but at even from Jack, the furry comic we read, there were plenty of of parts of that which were not pornographic but were highly sexually suggestive. And I wonder whether they would count that as porn or not because I've noticed a lot of furry artwork might, or at least that which I've seen mm. and which i looked at for mm. this episode, mm. it's not going to be out and out pornographic, but it's going to be very sexually suggestive. Mm. So this next section that I wanted to read out was the most contentious issues in the community. Uh, mm. And I'll just I'll just read a little bit of it. It says, at the end of many of our surveys... Uh, We asked furries to discuss important ideas or issues that were present in the fandom. We asked whether there were aspects of the fandom they disliked considered to be a problem or which they would change if they could. Um, They compiled Mm -hmm. these and uh, have made a list of some of the most controversial or contentious contentious issues in the furry fandom. So one is that the fandom is too sexual and too openly so, e.g. behaviour and porn in public settings. The fandom has a negative public image, the fandom includes or is too tolerant of deviant fetishes. There is too much drama and conflict within the uh, fandom, i.e. between subgroups or within local furry groups. There are problematic furs um, and subgroups in the fandom, such as bronies, therians, baby furs, and Nazi furs. Brony. I, I find it weird that bronies out. are included there because like my, my experience of bronies is pretty limited. Like, yeah, I've looked into it a little bit, but you know it seems particularly okay so when it gets into like clopping like the <laughs> like act, masturbating to porn based on cartoon ponies that's that's weird why did they have to call it clopping clopping <laughs> but the thing is i wouldn't put that on nearly the same level as like baby furs or nazi furs yeah anyway and it's like therians I guess with bronies and therians, I expect they're considered more problematic within the furry community because they're they're different, but they're similar enough that you know those those differences are going to really irk mm. people. Mm. Mm. Very interesting. Another one down here is um, anyway bigotry, discrimination, intolerance, and bullying in the fandom, and a recognition that bullying does occur in the fandom, despite the fact that it may mm. not be might not be physical bullying. Significant social bullying occurs, such as rumors and ostracism. Another mm. interesting one is despite the fandom's purported openness and acceptance physical disabilities still receive significant negative attention and issues such as spirituality and religion are looked down upon or discouraged by the fandom that's because there's too many fucking new atheists they they ruin everything <laughs> uh, yeah. as an as no, an atheist I, I just find i anticipate new there's so, a, <laughs> so i anticipate obnoxious.
1: there's
0: a big a big crossover between people who identify as redditors and people and who are and people who who and who have have people read, read who are new God Delusion. <laughs> yeah, and think they're fucking the galaxy brain because they can pull out a, oh, I don't like Jesus opinion. Yeah. I wonder how, how it easy it is to pin down our opinions on what we actually like. Well, I mean, I'm not trying to disguise my opinion at all. <laughs> it's like open about. with myself, for example, being an atheist, but also finding <laughs> the atheist movement online really obnoxious. <laughs> Look, like, well, like, especially uh, Daniel, uh, Danik. atheism. <laughs> atheism can mean many things. Why I don't agree with that, or don't identify at all with that new atheist movement, because as I, I think I said earlier in this episode, it feels like a very immature reaction, specifically to mm. Christianity. Oh yeah, for sure in the West. Because again, yeah. you never, you never have them say like you know to brag taking that down they Hinduism. Are, they're not Buddhist. <laughs> in fact, oftentimes they seem to almost fetishize Buddhism and and. They almost try to make Buddhism into this, like, strange Frankenstein's monster of, of modern liberalism. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and then say, oh, it's so much more enlightened. It's like, well, e- yeah, if you're basically just ignoring it and trying to turn it into. There's a lot of crazy, crazy shit in Buddhism. They obviously haven't read. That much. Yeah, like, there's some there's some crazy scenes. I, I think it's really fun, honestly. Like, sometimes, like, Gatama will just start floating in the air and blasting fire out of his eyes. That's <laughs> really cool. <laughs> that sounds like the sort of stuff that will get me on board. Yeah, none of this, like, compassion crap. Like, let's see some fiery eyes. <laughs> I, want more, I want more eye beams. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't like that new atheist movement at all. I think it's extremely childish. Um but not as much as baby furs in there. it's called what they call it's called um it's called age play. I think age play is seriously questionable. Yeah it makes me viscerally yeah. uncomfortable. Which of course should be the measure of whether something should be permissible it's just or not. The arbitrary reactions of your body. Yeah. The arbitrary reaction of, of Jack. <laughs> <laughs> we'll need to defer to Jack's uh Reactions to things. My now, speaking responses. of the last thing, there's the Yiffy Guide to Safer Sex. I don't really want to read it. We're at the end. Yeah, this has been like two hours. No, can we? Okay, so for those who don't know, Yiffy is is like furry porn and Yiff is onomatopoeic. So it's the noise that I think fox fox furries make when they're enjoying oh having sex. Oh, God. Uh. Do you think that fox, fox furries actually will make that Yiff sound? While they're having sex, I bet you they do, dirty bastards. I'm <laughs> sure, someone has. I'm sure, I'm sure someone has. <laughs> That's just the height yeah. of obnoxiousness. It, it was like it was like I, I was introduced <laughs> in in the process of preparing for this episode to the idea of a mer suit. So you've got a fur suit, oh, yeah, mermaid, which is uh, like like we've talked about. No, no. So mer oh, is something else. I think it's it's a noise it a noise made to express. Pleasure or sexual pleasure. A mer suit is a fursuit designed with, with strategically placed oh, holes. Yeah. Such that course. you can <laughs> you can be pleasured while you're wearing your mursuit. Just suit. Yiff all day. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't <understand> again. <laughs> Surely there's gonna be like some some funny like rap remixes based on you they see me thing Probably. They hate me. They know in my fursuit I'm just too... I don't know. I'll fix it. <laughs> Give, given how generative this community is, I'm sure there's a ton of music about it. One thing it. that I think people should go and look at is the furry song by Carl the Raven. Um, that's Carl, K-U-R-E-L. I don't know how you pronounce it. Carl, Carl, Carl the Raven. Um, funny song about furries made by a furry community. Um, yeah, so... I don't really have anything else to say. I think that finding that survey was really interesting. very good. It's yeah, a shame it, that we like we spent the first hour. There's so much more we could talk about. It's just it's it, like we have to it's, stop it's a shame that we spent the first hour talking about um furry cock before fighting because probably <laughs> the second half of that conversation was more informative and enlightening learning about the Furry community for our audience, like the first half, mm, but that's mm, okay. Mm. You guys, the faithful stuck around and became enlightened. <laughs> yeah, those who are part of the book club from health, fan. Hey, hey, don't, <laughs> don't, don't you give anybody any ideas, Jack. <laughs> yeah, please. I actively oh, disc- we will stop doing this if a fandom I, starts to, if, if it even. <laughs> If there is even the suggestion of it forming, <laughs> I'm never recording. it. I actively discussion. discourage any, any artistic renderings of Jack doing cock for. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so funny. What else have we got to say? Shout out to Rowan. Shout out to Which Rowan. Rowan. Is there anyone else you want to shout out? Shout out yeah, to nice. Hans, Hans, Hans. Hans is a Hans is a very interesting person, isn't he? <laughs> good on you, Hans. Um, I think we might end up getting like a barbecue inspired by my girlfriend. Um, has been inspired by Hans and just wants to have like a barbecue with meat on it next to like some barbells in our backyard. <laughs> That's a really good idea. She sounds great. really into um, sun and still. <laughs> Oh, what a book! Um, I don't have anything else to say. I I think we're taking a break. Yeah, we'll take a break around around Christmas and New Year's, so that we there won't be an an upload next week. Yeah, and then and then we'll be back with probably Temple OS. Yeah, we've got to assess, make a plan for the next year. Um, Yeah, Temple OS. We've got to finish off Spangler Volume One. Um, Mm -hmm. There's been a few other ones thrown out there in the world. Uh, in the on the discord and stuff suggestions coming through, so yeah, and we want to start having people on the show, so guests on the show, so next year we'll it's, a, it's never any guarantee that it will happen, but i I am yeah, rushed out and, and if you one. have any particular like other online content creators who may or may not have only fans uh, <laughs> that you'd like us yeah, to talk we'll to shoot scenes with them um please give us a suggestion. We've got a couple of suggestions that we're fielding and, like, reached out to some other people. But, um, yeah. yeah, obviously more suggestions the better. And I guess... Yeah, if you could show up to their houses and violently demand that they and, come on the show, then that And would the basic really, really idea really is, like, us. are they investigating something interesting? I don't know, like, if there's some... I don't know, if somebody is obsessed with Buddhist theology is making videos about it, maybe we should talk to them. <laughs> or if they're mm. funny... So if they're, like, a comedian or something. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, we're going to have modern philosopher Joe Rogan on. Oh, he'd so. be lucky to get on our show. We have high standards here at the Book Club from Hell. Yeah. <laughs> like, he'll have to take that up with our agent. <laughs> I'm our agent. <laughs> 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 All right. Uh, I don't have any more to, no, more thanks to say. For thanks for listening. Oh, Merry Christmas. Buy my book. Buy yeah, Tower for Christmas. Merry, Merry Christmas. Christmas. Happy Buy my book. Yeah. Um, Anything else you might be celebrating, fucking have a great time. Celebrate it with a copy copy of Tower Tower and help your friends and family also celebrate it with copies of Tower by Jack BC.